Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast Season 6, Episode 1. It's also the actual 150th episode. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I am joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. We back, kids! And we also have our illustrious co-founder, Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Wait for it. He's going to say something. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry, Jaime. We heard you. (laughs) I'm just being (laughs) facetious. All righty. We're just talking about the delay between here and Seattle. Um, For those of you transporting at home. No fact check from last time because I mean I I did listen to the show but I didn't really find anything wrong with it so um, yeah we'll just uh, move on to the headlines with Jonathan Kuline up first yeah so uh, I thought we'd do a little recap of some of the stuff while we were off the last uh, month or so so we got our Oscar nominations which is uh, always kind of fun to see how they how they treat the world that we care so much about uh, you know good news on a couple of fronts we got. Uh, Oscar nom for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I think we can fairly call a sci-fi film. And uh, we got some, you know, other noms in there as well. Best Director, Original Screenplay. We got uh, a nomination for uh, Michelle Yeoh for Best Actress. We got a nomination for Kehi Kwan for uh, Best Supporting. A nomination for Stephanie Hsu for uh, Best Supporting. And Jamie Lee Curtis for Best Supporting. So lots of love for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which I think we all really enjoyed. Um, you know, on top of that, we got uh, our first sort of uh, milestone for Marvel. We got a, uh, a, a Best Actress nomination for, uh, our Best Supporting Actress nomination for uh, Angela Bassett for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. You know, we, we'd gotten uh, Black Panther had been nominated as Best Picture, although I don't think, uh, you know, there was much hope it was going to win at that point. But uh, getting into the acting categories is kind of a big deal for Marvel. You know, they've yeah, there's yeah. been some really cool performances over the years that just you know, didn't get the love. So it's really great to see that. Um, beyond that, you know, kind of drops off a little bit. It's not a great year for genre pictures. You know, everything everywhere got a lot of love. There was a little bit of love for Black Panther. You know, Batman got a couple of little nods, you know, makeup and, and you know, sound and stuff like that. But it wasn't great. Uh, so... I guess we'll see whether or not that actually translates into actual love at, at the awards show. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Top Gun Maverick got Best Adapted Screenplay, Jonathan. Seriously. It got nominated for Best <clears throat> Picture. Really? Well, yeah, that's that's because of the, the guy in it. But, you know, it's because it's I've mean, seen that movie and I can tell you, I can tell you it's a great movie to see in a theater, but it is no Academy Award winning movie. Yeah, I, that to me just felt like a total like we'll nominate this movie because you all saw this one and that way you'll be able to say, hey, I saw that one. Maybe, maybe, or sell more tickets. Yeah, well, it sold a heck of a lot of tickets. It was uh, it was a real smash last year. 
And that that may in fact be one of the criteria for for getting in a, a nomination, right? So I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, they, it, since they expanded the the best picture category from five to ten a number of years back, and they can nominate anywhere between five and ten, they really have tried to make an effort to to be a little more populist in there. They've certainly added in you know stuff that they think the the larger public will support. So Avatar got a nomination. Uh, Everything Everywhere obviously did. Top Gun Maverick did. But beyond that, it's kind of what you'd expect from a word fair. You know, All Quiet on the Western Front. Banshees of Inisherin, Elvis. The Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness and Women Talking. All pretty much within the box you'd expect the Oscars to have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, you know, maybe there'll be a miracle and something like Everything Everywhere could actually win Best Picture. But I... I, I doesn't seem that way from everything I've been reading. And it seems like people are really focused in on uh, on the, the Fablemans as as oh, the favorite. Fables, really, yeah, hmm. that that one seems to be the one that people are kind of uh, feeling. So I guess we'll see. I've heard good things about Triangle of Sadness, but I haven't seen it yet. So it's still in theaters, I think. Right? I have not seen it on a streaming service here, but that's not to say that it isn't somewhere. Yeah, somebody somebody advised like one of our cinephiles at work said see it but don't look into it before you go like just mm. go in blind it's really good that way yeah mm-hmm. and i i love sarah polly i think she's extremely talented i really mm-hmm. would like to see women talking and obviously that's a nice uh she's obviously a, a wonderful canadian uh performer and writer and director so definitely rooting for her too yeah she was interviewed on q i'll put a link in the show notes about about her acting her life well about her directing pretty much and about Oh, she doesn't like to have children on the set because of her horrible experience as a child actor, right? Mm, yes, but, yeah. yeah. I think, I think, and Carol pointed out, it wasn't so much, uh, I, I was like, Anne of Avonlea was like really hard to work in, and she's no, no, it was the Terry Gilliam, um, Baron Munchausen experience that really turned her off. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she just put out a, a memoir that uh, actually my wife got for Christmas that uh, looked interesting. So if you're a Sarah Pauly nice. fan, that's out there too. Yeah, I mean, like, if you, if you look at the best pictures for a sec, I mean, like, yeah, that, I mean, that's almost like, it, I, I'm hearing good things about the movie. I haven't seen it. Tar, obviously, is another one that's got a lot of good good things about it. But well, People you know, say Kate Blanchett might be the favorite for best actress for that performance in Tar. Really? Yeah. Mm. Well, apparently she did a lot of work for it, right? Um, yeah. And Banshees, you know, I never, I didn't, it's funny, Banshees, I kind of got the, I got the Irish gist out of it, but I didn't get the idea that it was from the 20s, like 1920s. Mm-hmm. That's because um, Ireland I mean, it, still it, looks like it's from the 1920s. I love you, well, Ireland, yeah. but you do. It, yeah, it was very, it's very rustic and very, it was very sort of rural in terms of like where in Ireland it takes place, right? Yeah. Which is why it's confusing. But I don't think they really, had to do a lot of set direction to make it look like the 20s. No, it's true. That's Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it was hard to tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have known, right? Otherwise. I made any of these stand out to you? I, I have to admit that. I'm not doing so hot, and I'm kind of looking at Best Picture, and I'm like, okay. I mean, I've seen the original All Quiet on the Western Front, not seen the new one. Avatar, I don't new think... one's good. I don't think, you know, I enjoyed Avatar as an experience. I don't think it should be part of Best Picture. Um, I can only assume that Banshees of Inisherin is good. Uh, Elvis is one that I have not seen, despite it being on HBO Max, but seems like a nice crossover between uh, generally popular and probably a good take on it. I personally love everything everywhere all at once uh the fablemans have you know heard good things about it, but feels kind of more like an oscar film than a a, a real film for people mm. you know mm-hmm. um, yeah the people in the oscars really love movies about movies and movie making right 
especially a famous movie making person as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Top Gun Maverick, I enjoyed. I think it's fine to include it as the the sort of so people will watch the TV show premiere of this uh, uh, event. But I don't think it as much as I enjoy Top Gun Maverick. I don't think it belongs as a as a true best picture nomination, even though it is darn near perfect as a many many decades later sequel. Uh, Triangle of Sadness, really um, <laughs> not sort of tickling my uh, my my memories. And Women Talking is. Probably one of those films that I should watch, but have not watched. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's a it's a Marion Taves' book, right, John? Yeah, Marion Taves. Yeah, yeah. She's a she's a pretty popular Canadian author right now, and and that's one of her stories, one of her books, right? So that's and so it's very. I mean, uh, it's it's like one like Banshees of Inisherin and Women Talking and Tar are sort of highbrow movies, in my opinion. Like they're they're. I think that's what I think of when I think of Oscar type material, right? Um, but but then things like All All Quiet in the Western Front, this adaptation was really good. I, I don't know if you've seen it, Jonathan, or not. No, the Elvis one, meh. You know, I can see why it's nominated, but I don't think it's. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I could be surprised. I haven't seen Fablemans yet, so I have no, no opinion on it. Um, and Top Gun, like I said, Top Gun is a is a popcorn movie. Like I go see it in IMAX. Otherwise, you know, wait for the wait for the the uh vhs release you know um because it's it's have you seen top gun john or uh Jaime? i have and they actually really should release it on vhs you can put it up on your <laughs> shelf right next to the original top gun that i mean there's taylor swift you know uh records and she was nowhere close to what records existing uh when she uh you know probably was born i would guess um, yeah, so why not? Yeah, why not? Why not true. do the the retro, uh, you know, neo constitution kind of thing for this? Go for it! Oh God, don't! <laughs> it's too early to get into that yet, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, well, yeah. let's let's jump to the next story. Uh, so, in our last episode of last season, we were talking about the uh, the allegations that had come up against Justin Roiland, who was the co-creator of Rick and Morty, among other things. And, uh, you know, there was, obviously he had been charged with uh, a crime, and it was alleged that he is, uh, so he's facing felony domestic violence charges in connection to an incident from 2020. Uh, We were sort of obviously hoping at that point that this, you know, uh, was not going to prove true, uh, but in the wake of investigations by... uh, Adult Swim, and subsequently Disney Plus, and subsequently uh, the video game company that he co-founded, uh, he has been dropped from all of those things. So this is the voice of Rick and Morty for those looking for context. So obviously, like also, so many, also Space Oddity or not Space Oddity, the the Solar Opposites, the Solar, Solar Opposites, opposites yeah. and a few other things too, and right? Koala Man, and 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 and, and. yeah. Yeah. So this, you know, the first thing that came out that was just sort of, you know, he's been he's been let go from all these different things, and you know, so so that story sort of popped up, and then in the wake of that, there was a very large piece on the Hollywood Reporter, which I don't know if you guys have had a chance to read, but it's a fascinating read where they basically, you know, deep dove into, you know, what his work circumstances are or were prior to his dismissal where he basically you know he was barely connected to the show at all that he really there was a big divide between him and dan Harmon on the rick and morty 
front, that, you know, he really was just kind of voice talent at this point, that he really wasn't so much in the, in the creative side. And uh, it's a really interesting piece. We'll, we'll have the link in our show notes uh, if you want to read it. But it really paints a picture of somebody who, uh, you know, was, was very disconnected. And, uh, you know, it also alleges, these are all, of course, allegations in a story, but uh, alleges that he was uh, not necessarily the best coworker, uh, engaging in some rather questionable behavior around the office, uh, sexist behavior and other allegations in this piece. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's, you know, it's disappointing as a fan to hear that someone whose work you've enjoyed is, uh, you know, alleged to be behaving this way. Obviously he still has to have his day in court, but, uh, you know, obviously there was enough of a, uh, a, a negative, uh, story there that these organizations felt that they wanted to part ways with him. The show has said it will go on. Rick and Morty and Solars and 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 Koala Man and everything else say they're going to move on. They're going to find somebody else to do the voices and it's going to be fine. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty it's pretty messed up and it's a pretty big blow for a pretty popular show. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I don't know how they would carry on. I guess you could find a voice actor that sounds like him. I guess yeah, because they did that with a few other people. Like I think. Um... There's a Canadian guy who does cartoons now or um, animated stuff. Yeah, he does Bugs um, Bunny. The Canadian yeah, guy does exactly. Bugs Bunny now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should remember his name too. But yeah, um, yeah, he's an example where I see he's taken over for for Mel Blanc's son, right? Yep. Yeah, there's a yeah. you know these things do happen over the years. There certainly have been people who have been replaced on shows. Uh, you know, people probably don't remember, but uh, but you know some of the characters in South Park. Uh, the female characters have changed voices over the years because oh, there's different they? actors have uh, have changed in there. And, you know, I'm sure that's happened on other animated series before where, you know, voices change over time. And what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody else is playing Fred Flintstone now. It still sounds like Fred Flintstone, right? Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's it is disappointing. It is, you know, uh, sad that this has happened. But uh mm-hmm. If if these allegations are in any way true, then this person doesn't deserve, uh, you know, to to be able to, you know, make his livelihood doing these things. These are, these are awful, awful allegations. So, uh, you know, I guess there's probably one in there for, uh, you know, don't behave like he is alleged to have behaved. Yeah. Uh, another one from a co- the last couple of weeks that's been kind of uh, a really interesting one to keep an eye on. So we got this announcement from James Gunn, the new head uh, guy, the Kevin Feige, if you will, for DC, of what they intend to do to sort of reboot the DC movie slash television universe. And I got to admit, it sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, he he had this, this little, you know, video announcement uh, a couple weeks back where uh, he sort of said, you know, we're not completely scrapping everything that's da- coming down the line. Uh, we're still going to release, obviously, the second uh, Shazam movie. We've got the new Flash movie coming out. We've got Aquaman. Uh, he said he made a point of saying, you know, the, the Shazam movie is kind of off in its own corner. It's not really strongly tied to the DCU movies. So go and enjoy that for what it is made a point of saying that the Flash and the Aquaman movies are going to be sort of the table setting for the changes that are going to come under his, uh, you know, supervision of the DC. And I should say it's him and Peter Safran is the other uh, head, co-head, they're co-heads of DC Studios at Warner Brothers. But um, yeah, so the announcements were that they're going to do 
a bunch of new properties between the movies, some cartoons, and then also some television programs. Um, and it's pretty neat. So Superman Legacy, which Gunn is going to write himself, uh, not coming till 2025. So it sounds like 2024 is going to be pretty much a year without DC, which is, you know, if, if they're building this stuff up, maybe that's good. Uh, so, you know, this is going to be a new take on Superman, sort of a younger Superman. Uh, Superman Legacy sounds good. Uh, the Authority is something that they're going to deliver. Now, I am a massive Authority fan. It's one of my favorite books from the last 25 years. Uh, it is a much more cynical take on superherodom. Not as cynical as The Boys, but just more of a whatever it takes to get the job done kind of approach. Uh, you know, uh, don't don't put the villains in jail, put a hole through their head kind of attitude. Um, again, really, really interesting comic book series um, by Warren Ellis back in the day. Um, and really interesting to see what they lift from those series because they were really, 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 really well written stories. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we got Brave and the Bold, which is uh, inspired by a Grant Morrison comic. A lot of this work, including the Superman, seems like it might be inspired by Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison is um, one of the staples of comics the last 30 years. Very, very interesting. Very, very uh, metaphysics and, uh, you know, spiritualistic uh, storytelling. Very, 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 very cerebral. Very smart. Very interesting cat. And, uh, you know, really bringing the the genre up a notch not quite alan moore but pretty darn close so uh that's kind of cool we've got a, a super supergirl woman of tomorrow series based on the tom king comic series that was out last year last year the year before uh tom king stephen king's son for those who don't know uh and a really talented writer in his own right uh we've got a swamp thing film which is really interesting considering they had a swamp thing tv show that was very short-lived recently, and uh, I wonder if those two things are connected. They canceled it because maybe they wanted to do this as a bigger thing. Uh, Batman Part 2, uh, coming in October 2025. And then a bunch of... Those are all movies. And then we got a bunch of, of DC HBO series. So Creature Commandos, that was a strange pull. Uh, these are literally like the monsters of the DCU in kind of a Suicide Side Squad kind of thing. We've got Waller, which is like a follow-up to Pace, uh, Peacemaker. Doesn't sound like Peacemaker is continuing as Peacemaker. It seems like it's more focused around uh, the Amanda Waller character. It's a little disappointing because I, I laughed my butt off at that first season of Peacemaker. I thought it was great. And James Gunn was really involved in that. But since he was really involved in that, I'm hoping it'll be good. Uh, Booster Gold <laughs> is getting a series. Booster Gold, again, a character that's been around for 35 years. Uh, he's a guy from the future who basically gets ordinary tech from the future, travels back in time. And because it's so futuristic tech, he basically appears to be a superhero. So he's kind of a, a flim flam man, uh, uh, pretending to be a hero. It's, it's a fun character. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, lanterns, which is like a green lantern story. They're describing it as, uh, John Stewart and Hal Jordan, uh, as true detective in space. I'm like, okay, I'm in. Mm -hmm. uh paradise lost that's uh the the based in in themyscira the home of wonder woman and uh yeah and then there's there's you know more to come apparently so this is a crazy slate of stuff um and and i really kind of take my cues i i, I really like to see because i obviously i'm very connected to the comic community i 
really like to see how people are responding who have read some of these stories and who are fans of this work. And and there's a real surprising buzz. DC Comics 2 movies have really not gotten a lot of buzz the last few years. Like, first appearances of people who are going to be in movies don't sell. New books with those characters aren't picking up. But in the wake of these announcements, there's been a lot of heat behind some of these things. You know, the the authority first appearances have all gone through the roof as far as cost. Booster Gold has gone up. People are really betting that this is going to be a, a big win for DC. So that's kind of fun to watch. Are you guys at all excited about any of this? Or is this all like, am I speaking uh, an alien language to you? Foreign tongue? That, what's, what is this DC that you speak of? <laughs> I know. I know it's... Is it kind of like Marvel in a way? But yeah, no, it's interesting to, to, I mean, again, those are, you know, it's, it's, I always get, I always, you know, find it weird that, you know, Batman is such a good franchise coming from, yet it comes from DC and then Superman has had its hits and misses. And, but again, like, you know, some, always some pretty entertaining films and, um, you know, the Aquaman was kind of interesting and, and the whole Justice League thing. I was, I always liked the Justice League cartoon. I used to watch it all the time, you know, um, and I never really looked down my nose at Aquaman like other people do. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's interesting to see that, that, that all this stuff is coming. But, I mean, it, it is, it's a lot to lay on a person like to, you know, who's not you know, involved in this kind of stuff to really sort of get the gist of all the significance of all of this, right? Um, we'll talk, I guess we'll talk about Flash in a minute. But, the, you know, the new, the new Batman, Pattinson, I guess that's part two one you said we were talking about earlier, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, and was it Supergirl or Superwoman you mentioned? Yeah, yeah, that's another one. That's uh, it's a strange pull, but Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, which is based on uh, yeah, a recent Supergirl right. series. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it, I. We all know that that DC needs compared to. Um, I mean, it's. I mean, it's still they're good movies in their own right, but I mean, compared to how Marvel's done with with the whole you know um, Avengers and X Men and stuff, it's it's tough to compete, right? So. I always get confused. Like, Spider Man's not a crossover. Which which universe is Spider Man from? DC. Spider Man is Marvel, but it's it's Marvel. just it's just the movie rights that are owned elsewhere. Oh, okay, right. I mean, are any of these jumping out at you? Uh, you I know you're a little more comic book versed than uh, than perhaps Tim is. Yeah, um, I liked the Batman. So part two is uh, something I'm looking forward to. Uh, Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow, because it's something a little different. Um, Superman uh, Legacy, I think, uh, just seeing something out there that, that does something, I assume, new and yet, you know, uh, reference to the character, just given the, the legacy part of the title. Interesting. But that's for the movies. For the TV stuff, uh, Waller, just because Peacemaker was, was great, so I kind of want to see a different side of that character. Uh, mm-hmm. Lanterns, because it's been a minute since we've had some good um, Green Lantern stuff. Uh, that more than just like one-off uh, animated movies, and um, I lost where it was. I saw something else, uh, and then probably the Booster Gold stuff, just because yeah. that's a, a fun character from um, like Justice League America. I think I can't remember which group he ended up in. Yeah, I don't think he was in Europe. Yeah, was in well, it was sort of that. It was that post uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, nineteen eighty six, eighty seven. Uh, Justice League International, I think, was the uh, was mm, the sort okay. of long term title for that book, where they were sort of the UN peacekeeping superheroes. That uh, yeah, he just he got this great sort of run as this sort of um, you know goofy 
character. I hope it brings some fun. Like that's feels like one of the things that's really been missing from DC Comics characters is fun. And some of this sounds really fun. Yeah, it it strikes me as like a um or Booster Gold is a character which they uh, in the Justice League comics often paired up with uh, a different Blue Beetle. Yeah. They were they were a nice pair and it feels like in this sort of setting he is um kind of akin to uh Ant-Man where like you're part of the team but like maybe you shouldn't be like <laughs> you're here with like some like incredibly overpowered characters and you're like you you contribute it's good contributions but you always feel a little bit like you know I'm a little out of my league here like I belong but like I'm I'm probably not the top tier person so I think bringing that sort of like you said like like humor and self-deprecation and just a little bit less seriousness would be kind of fun to see out of uh, the DC side for this character yeah and you're actually a good call, Jaime. I, I had neglected. And the, the other thing that they talked about was the uh, was the Blue Beetle movie that's coming this year. And of course, they're focusing on the the most recent iteration of Blue Beetle, who is uh, is uh, Latinx and is also uh, yeah, just a, a little more contemporary than than sort of the the older version of the character. But yeah, I think it's it's high time we could get excited about this world again. And you know, I think when they hired James Gunn, we were all kind of hoping that there would be a little more uh maybe a little more fun like he's that's the one thing he certainly brought to Guardians of the galaxy is it's 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 not you know like it's it can rip your heart out but can also make you laugh and you know obviously he's gonna have that sort of top-down view on the whole of the dcu so maybe he can find a little more joy in that world again yeah it can be a little bit stiff sometimes right well and just and just joyless like i think that's one of the things we talked about before like it, it's just a little joyless and it's really nice to see that he seems like he's really revved up to be there. It seems like the projects he's picked are a mix of, you know, really interesting swings. And, you know, I'm sure they're not all going to hit. But, uh, you know, it seems like he's just kind of picking, cherry picking really cool stories and, and basing them off some, you know, some really interesting work from the last uh, number of years. So hopefully, hopefully we're in for better days for the for the DCU. Mm-hmm. Cool. Speaking of which, uh, we got a couple Super Bowl trailers this week, and that was kind of fun. Uh, the the biggest one was probably the first look at The Flash, starring Ezra Miller. Uh, this trailer uh, dropped on Sunday, and we we you know it had been a very sort of vexing prospect and and project for a while. Ezra Miller, obviously, we've talked in this pod before about he's had some some legal issues, and obviously. Uh, hasn't exactly been what you'd want in an ideal uh, leading person, um, but it's uh, it's very interesting trailer that sort of you know seems to go a lot of different places. Uh, you know, we get a, a glimpse of you know what seems to be uh, Barry disrupting the timelines, trying to sort of mix uh, you know do, pull in the old Star Trek and messing with timey wimey stuff, and uh, you know ends up in other other parallel earths which seems to be the the growing theme in in comic related movies lately and uh you know we, we get to see michael keaton return as batman we get to see uh, the return of zod we get to see a super girl which may or may not be the, the one that's advertised in this uh promotion from james gunn but uh yeah like really neat visuals and really looks actually kind of interesting what did you guys uh, take away from this trailer well, really interesting sort of, yeah, the, like you said, it, it 
um, interesting from the timey-wimey point of view and, and, you know, sort of filling out the Flash um, storyline. But, I mean, like, we did see also, we saw Ben Affleck's Batman or Ben Affleck's yeah. Bruce Wayne. We didn't actually see him as Batman. And uh, But wasn't he talking to Michael Keaton in the beginning? Doesn't Michael Keaton play a different character in this universe as well or in, in the very Flash timeline? Or am I getting that crust with something else? Well, I, he was the vulture in the Spider-Man movie. So we haven't oh, seen, okay. yeah, we haven't mean, seen yeah. him playing a DC character other than Batman. So Yeah, because I thought I heard yeah. his voice like Ezra was talking to someone in the beginning of the show. Um, but yeah, so this is obviously boring from that sort of, thing that they did in the last Spider-Man Spider-Man movie where you had the different Spider-Mans come in, Tobey Maguire and, mm-hmm. and um, uh, Andrew Garfield? From, Andrew Garfield. The guy from yeah, the Netflix movie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's how I know him. But um, yeah, sort of boring, boring that sort of idea. Plus the whole sort of like parallel universes and, and you know, maybe different people become different people. Like, like, like obviously the Michael Keaton character as Bruce Wayne, you know, kind of thing. That was that was. I'm sure that was a must have been a, a Super Bowl uh, like moment when when he appears and says, "I'm Batman." I'm Batman. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, which of course he had to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done as he's done that as as uh, like I saw him do that once on a TV show. Like he was like just as a as a as himself. Just you know, he had this sort of denouement moment where he builds up this whole thing, and at the very end of it, he goes, "I'm Batman." <laughs> <You know? laughs> but yeah. Yeah, and he was a, he was an interesting casting choice in the first place. Anyway, but it would be interesting to see if the other other Batman's you know could come back, right? So, alas, poor Adam West. Adam West and yeah, and George Clooney <laughs> and his nipples and oh uh, yeah, Val Kilmer couldn't talk. It'll be a hell of a yeah, thing. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'd be getting through. yeah. The mm-hmm. um, the internet definitely had a lot of love for Michael Keaton as Batman. Um, the premise of this movie does feel like into the Flasherverse. What, uh, yeah. what I'm going to yeah. call it. Yeah. But not in a bad way, you know, like mm-hmm. it could have been extremely derivative and, you know, in fairness, comics have been telling these sort of crossover between world stories for, you know, damn near a hundred years. So it's not like you could accuse one of, you know, taking the other's turf. It's just, obviously it's, it's, you know, recency bias too. People will be like, well, that's just like something we just saw because we did it first. That doesn't necessarily mean you know, yeah. anything. But uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be kind of fun. You know, like one of the things that that DC has needed to do for a while is a bit of a tidy. So there's a, a, a comic book story from about a decade ago called Flashpoint. And that was the kicking off point for their sort of reboot of the comic book DC universe. Uh, in the, what the, they created out of that, the, the new 52 era. Uh, this seems like that might be the same kind of thing where at the end of the Flashpoint comic book, uh, you know, first Flash goes back and changes something. It has ripple effects. And then all the heroes in this changed universe, just stop me if this sounds familiar, uh, all the heroes from that changed universe have to go back and figure out how to fix it. And in the end, it gets fixed, but there are changes because things have been, you know, the exact time that things changed are different. Um and in this case, you know, uh, yeah, it gives them an opportunity to maybe do some recasting and maybe change a few backstories and, you know, tweak things a little bit to maybe get to a better place where they want to carry these things forward and not necessarily have the same people come back and play those characters. So, Well, and it's not unusual in comic books to to have different people play um, a hero. Like, like Robin's been 
different people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Over the years, right? Yeah. Spider, I mean, look. Yeah, no, well, I mean, the right. Flash has always been Barry Allen, or no, no. As a matter of fact, in the, in 1986 or 85, as part of the Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was the first sort of big shakeup of continuity in a long time at DC, uh, Barry sacrifices himself in that story and dies, and his Kid Flash, his 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 sidekick, um, becomes Wally West, becomes the Flash, and. Barry was the Flash from 1986 or 87 until they brought the Flash back in a series called Rebirth. Jeez, 2000. And the Flash only started in 86. No, that's when the, that's when they rebooted it. Oh, okay. The original. Yeah, so the, the you know there's been a and even before that there was what we call the Golden Age Flash too. So there was a there was an you know that was the Flash with the silver helmet and the wings on it and stuff like that. So it's Jay Garrick. So there's been a lot of different flashes over the years. It really is more of a who's the fast running guy of each era, right? But um, right, right. Now it's of course it's back to being a Barry because uh, people there seem to DC seem to really like Barry, but uh, I really liked Wally West. So what do I know? Mm-hmm. Well, dare to dream. You got long, long time to go yet. You know? Who knows? Who knows? Uh, all right, and the other trailer that we got was the new Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. Again, a nice, uh, you know, we, we've obviously gotten a, a couple of tastes of this. We know uh, that it's, it's coming in the not-distant future, but uh, this one had a little bit more. Uh, did you guys have any takeaways from the uh, the new Guardians of the Galaxy trailer? Yeah, just, uh, I like the, uh, what's Star-Lord giving, um, um, what's um, Amy Pond's character's name? Nebula. Nebula, giving her the, you know, the, the look. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, interesting and, and, you know, sort of, it's, I guess, a different twist on it. We got a little bit more of a reveal in terms of, like, how Gamora comes back or mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Not that we know how she comes back. We know that she's back. And I guess in the same sort of Spock, search for Spock 4 or whatever it was called, um, you know, she's not quite herself sort of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I, I guess it's supposed to be the one that we saw in Endgame, which is that sort of... Uh, came from the past into this now future doesn't have all the guardians of the galaxy experience that the that the other version of gamora had so it'd be interesting to see if they reconcile those characters if they sort of start fresh with her i thought gamora was dead dead because she had to die in order for thanos to to... she was dead dead but then so the thanos that they fight at the end of endgame uh is actually the thanos from the past right Right. And with him to the future comes a Gamora who had not met that fate. So she's kind of time looped herself into existing again. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Timey wimey kids. We'll get into the timey, timey wimey of it when we get into Picard uh, mm-hmm. season three, episode one in a, in a little bit, because there's lots of timey yeah, wimey in there too. That too. Yeah. I got some questions there too. Yeah. 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 Uh, it wasn't new because they've shown this shot before, but the the animal cruelty on Rocket Raccoon before he was modified is uh, mm. going to be a, a you know something that tugs at the heartstrings in the future. But, yeah, uh, they they you know James Gunn had sort of said all along the reason he really wanted to do three, and and the reason why he initially when he got let go by Marvel and then brought back, he was he really wanted to tell this Rocket Raccoon story, and uh, so I think. Rocket is going to be the sort of emotional fulcrum of this movie, and and you're right. Like even just seeing the stuff in the trailer, it's like oof, you know. <laughs> like a, it's going to be a hard hard watch at times, I think. But uh, but you know, I'm confident that there's also going to be a lot of 
lot of laughs and silly along the way because what else could you expect? And it does sound like, I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the the um, cast weighing in, but it sounds like all of them are like, and peace out, Marvel, we're done. Um, you know, it doesn't sound like they have much interest in in working on much more Marvel stuff to come, but you never know. Oh, really? Hmm. They I pack up a that. Brinks truck, maybe they will, but I don't know. It's funny, you know, I was just thinking about the, the name Rocky Raccoon, Rocket Raccoon, which obviously comes, I guess, from the Rocky Raccoon of the Beatles. And what's interesting about that is that the Beatles famously, when they wrote lyrics, if they didn't have a finished lyric, they would just throw something in that sounded nice, right? Mm-hmm. Like McCartney wrote Scrambled Eggs instead of, was it? No, Yesterday instead it was Scrambled Eggs originally, right? Yeah. Because he didn't have the words, right? And I wonder, I wonder, I mean, we'll never know, I guess now, but, or we can maybe ask McCartney, but um, if Rocky Raccoon was just a placeholder name that they just kept on the record. Yeah, yeah. Because they probably were thinking of, we've got to cup, you know, come up with some cowboy name that, you know, rhymes with this, right? You know? Yeah. And then, and that be, that got us a little raccoon with, you know, powers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And a gun. Yeah, a big gun, yeah. Yeah. Attitude, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, a couple of uh, sad ones that we should probably touch on. Uh, sort of recapping the last couple of weeks, we we lost uh, someone who we just whose work we just really enjoyed recently. So uh, Annie Wershling, uh, Wershing, I should say, from uh, you know, famously from the uh, Borg Queen from our last season of Star Trek Picard, uh, who was also in Runaways and worked on the Last of Us video game. Uh, she was in 24, lots of other stuff. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away recently uh, at the age of just 45 after a, uh, a battle with cancer. So really sad to hear about her passing. It was really nice to see, uh, obviously, the number of people that I follow on social media related to uh, the, you know, uh, sort of nerdiverse. A lot of people just saying she was just a pro and so nice and uh, lots of really sweet tributes out for her. Um and, you know, again, she was she was delightful as the Borg Queen, just, you know, absolutely yeah, yeah. digging her her fangs into the into the role. So really, really sad to hear about her passing. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously the story that that really breaks your heart is that she, uh, you know, she had three little little boys uh, that she leaves behind. So, uh, yeah, very, very sad to hear about her passing and uh, she will definitely mm. be missed. Yeah, just yesterday, Raquel Welch passed away. And I mean, it may not be, I don't know how much it means to you guys, but she was the woman when we were kids. Like when I was like a six or seven year old, she was like, everybody knew who she was in the schoolyard kind of thing. I mean, her fame came from probably from 1 million years BC, where she basically is, you know, fur bikini. A, a fur bikini. And of course, you know, nobody really fact checked the fact that human beings didn't exist a million years before <laughs> Christ. But uh, no, small, you know, little details. Little, some details. Life, you know, it was still worth looking at. But the but the important point for me in terms of our milieu is that she was she played Cora, who was like a doctor nurse kind of thing in the Fantastic Voyage, which was a telling of an Asimov story about they have to save this guy. And so they've, they've got this shrinking ray and they shrink down uh, this submarine with the four doctors in it, including Cora, and they go into the human body. And so uh, if you watched a little, little um, trailer of this movie, it took two years. It came out in 1966. So think about this. It was actually being written and filmed in like 1964 to begin with. Right. In fact, by the time they went to, they realized that Raquel Welch was going to be the sex bomb thing. Um, because Fantastic Voyage, Fantastic Voyage came out a few months before One Million BC, Years BC, so it was the first time people sort of really noticed her. Um, 
her hair had grown out mm. <laughs> by the time that by the time the the uh, the thing had the the show hit. She was probably wearing a wig in the in the movie. But the uh, interesting interesting about her though is that I mean she was like you'd see her a lot and she she was really really a strong she played strong women roles in mm. in in the early days. She's in one of the remakes of of. Um, uh, Three Musketeers, and she doesn't suffer fools in that movie. In the character, she actually is. Her father was from La Paz, so he's she's up part Bolivian. So mm-hmm. interesting to see. I get what you call it, Latina Latinx. I guess is the mm-hmm. is that the word. Anyway, I don't know. But uh, yeah, so someone of technically of color in that sort of role too. So I mean, what's interesting about Fantastic Voyage too is a lot of the a lot of the effects and way of shooting stuff like that that they did in that movie ended up being what we saw in things like star trek and you know um lost in space and all that kind of stuff it kind of from a special effects point of view it kind of set the groundwork for a lot of sci-fi that came up until you could say star wars right um so you know because it was sort of being done around the same time as as 2001 a space odyssey right so a really important movie if you haven't seen it it's actually it actually holds up pretty well as a movie it's not it, it it's not it's not super disney like but it but it is a little bit like that but it's still i think it it's still a compelling story it's kind of kind of fun to watch right mm-hmm. and so, yeah, i learned a lot about the human body watching that movie <laughs> one of the things that uh, other people might uh, or more more contemporary for a lot of people is uh, she's part of an enduring classic she is the woman on the poster in andy's cell uh, at the near the end of Shawshank redemption right so he starts oh, out really? with a a picture of Rita Hayworth, but over time, Red keeps giving him new poster girls, and so he's got her from One Million BC uh, in her uh, on the wall, and that's when he, when the the warden throws the rock and it goes through the poster, and they find out that Andy's escaped through the tunnel. It goes through right through her poster. Really cool. So, and, and just as a more contemporary thing, she in her seventies, she beat up Kramer and Elaine on the same episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> yes. A classic, yeah, yep, yeah. No, you're right. I mean, she was obviously the, you know, you're you're uh, a few years older than me. She was still kind of regarded as a sex symbol when I was a kid, uh, but yeah. I think she definitely had her real sort of heyday in the in the you know late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, everybody mm-hmm. knew who she was mm-hmm. in my school. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, do you want to jump ahead to the uh, why we all need subtitles? Yeah. So this is an interesting one. I have, I, I, you know, I thought it was me, right? Um, I have been using, I've been watching TV and movies and stuff with subtitles on forever. And turns out that this, this video essay, it's, it's a few minutes long. It's, it's I think maybe 20 minutes long. He goes into uh, why, what's, what's happening with, um, with, um, the reason why people are mumbling in movies these days and why you really can't hear. And even if you have super hearing, you still can't hear what they're saying. And part, and people like, uh, who's the guy who, uh, Nolan, Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. is famous for not caring about, like he wants it to seem authentic. So if somebody's mumbling or speaking through, like somebody's got something like in a, in the movie, what's the movie about the, uh, the planes and the war, uh, that Dunkirk, uh, Dunkirk. Yeah. You know they got the the mouthpieces over their mouths, and you can't really hear what they're saying. The you know sound of the planes and whatever. So the, he he likes the realistic sort of sound, but people complain that they can't hear what the characters are saying in the movies, right? Mm-hmm. Um. So and he goes through the whole sort of way that um 
like soundtracks were actually made in films and you and it goes through the sort of classic analog days when you know they used to move the music and the sound effects away from the speaking so you could hear them and uh, one of the classic scenes in in uh, singing in the rain is that the story behind singing in the rain is the the sort of one of the b plot is that their uh the talkies have come out and so they were all silent film actors in the studio and they have to start talking and the, and the one character has this really yeah. high yeah. like she makes um Howard's wife sound really pleasant compared to like or more like like a Howard's mother's voice kind of yeah sort of very grating voice and sort of the whole sort of teaching this character Lena to to look into the microphone when she's talking because she keeps talking and she turns away like this and she comes back to the microphone and <laughs> yeah. you know like I just did right now but and but what what they really would do back in most TV shows is that were they would have two boom mics for the room and then they would each uh, actor would actually have a lapel mic on, right? Mm. A lav lavanian mic, I forget what they call them, but the um so so they're so everybody's mic'd kinda like a drum set, like all the drums are, are are mic'd and then they mix them together. Except in case of Christopher Nolan, he just doesn't care, like I said before. <laughs> so and then you know sometimes if they just can't mask the the sound effect or whatever or the you know the symbol crash or whatever it is that happens while they're making the shot, they sometimes have the actors come back and reread their lines. Oh yeah, 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 ADR, right? yeah. And that costs a lot of money because you're still paying this twenty million dollar actress to come in and do her twenty million dollar voiceover, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a that's a prohibitively expensive uh, thing as well. So I mean, so he he sort of like. The summary of the video, if you don't want to don't watch the whole thing, the TLDR is buy better speakers, right? Take a chill pill, or just watch it with subtitles. Yeah, you know. But but it's really interesting if you're interested in how sound goes into movies. Definitely check out this this particular one, right? And we'll come back to sound in in, in another perspective in my picks later. Yeah, I, I have a couple as well that are sort of uh, you know in that same sort of uh, you know home home enjoyment uh, area. So. Uh, there's a great piece in here that I saw the other day from uh, movieweb.com where they're talking about, you know, the removal of arrested development from Netflix, which is happening next month. And this is particularly interesting because arrested development aired for three seasons on Fox. It was then canceled, even though it was a critical darling, it never really caught on in the mainstream and it was never a hit. But it had this following. And so one of the it was actually one of the very first things, original programs that Netflix did was to license the rights to create a fourth season of Arrested Development. And that was a huge deal that they were reviving this show. It was the first of those sort of revival era of shows. And they, they did a season four, which was, you know, it was okay. It wasn't great. It was okay. And then they did a season five. But if you wanted to watch the complete story from one to five, if you wanted to be a completist, the only place you could do that was on Netflix. The fact that it is coming down is very significant because there is no physical release of part five, season five. Season four got a physical release. Season five has never gotten a physical release. So once this comes down, it will not be available anywhere at all. So this article is about how, you know, in the era before streaming, what we had was this sort of golden era of releasing content that you could own. There was the big boom of TV on DVD, where we would get a season as a box set. You would take it, sit down, and yes, you had to get up from your sofa every you know few hours and load in a new disc to watch. But you could 
actually physically own and watch seasons of shows. Now that we're getting to this unusual era, and I'm going to talk more about Netflix in a minute, but we're into this era now where we're seeing a lot of contraction in the streaming world. You know, we're starting to get to that point of saturation, which I know the three of us have talked about a lot, of there's so many streaming services, there's so much content out there, people are being more choosy with their money. These streaming services can't continue to grow their subscriber bases the way they were in the past because the thing that drives that is original content. Original content is often expensive and therefore it you know it creates a loop where basically you can't afford to create more content unless you have more subscribers and if you don't have more subscribers you can't create content and if you don't have the content you can't get more subscribers and so you're stuck. So Physical media is an interesting sort of uh, thing here because we're going to see an era coming up soon where we're going to see amalgamations. Like we've seen some of those ones in the United States already where we've seen uh, Showtime has now joined Paramount Plus, I believe. Uh, we've seen uh, there's rumors of the, the HBO Discovery app, uh, you know, the, whether or not they're going to keep that together. Uh, you know, Netflix is in a bit of a bind now because they've, spent a ton of money creating original content and they've kind of plateaued on their subscribers. So it's expensive for them to continue to do these things and it's expensive for them to continue to pay for that content they've already created because for something like Arrested Development, there's 15 or 20 key cast members who all need to get paid their royalties out of these, plus the production company, plus, plus, plus. It must cost them a fortune to have on there. So that's why they're pulling it down. And now we're in this place where, you know, you might not be able to see your favorite shows, even if it's created by that. So we've seen Westworld come off HBO Max. We've seen uh, now Arrested Development coming off Netflix. If you don't physically own something, you might not be able to watch it anymore for a very long time. So we could be seeing a trend back towards people actually having to go back out and purchase these things and load the discs if they want to have these things in their collection. It's very, very interesting how this has come full circle. Uh, yeah, it kind of leads, lends another question too. Like what happens when, you know, the Blu-ray players and the DVD players and that all go away too, right? Like, Well, that's it. You're, you're, you know, a lot of companies have stopped manufacturing a lot of that stuff. Is yeah. there going to be a sudden, you know, record players came back? Are we going to start seeing DVD players coming back? You know, like... It's a very, very interesting discussion. It's also particularly interesting because right now, you know, I, I frequent a couple of places uh, that are, you know, specialty shops that carry a lot of the used, you know, DVDs and Blu-rays of TV shows and things like that. You know, is there going to be a sudden surge or the price is going to start to go back up? You know, it's funny because for the longest time I could buy almost anything on vinyl because nobody was buying vinyl except for me. And then yeah, all of yeah. a sudden, I would start going to those same, like, you know, thrift shops and stuff, and they were pulling out, you know, better stuff and putting it behind a display case. And now, right. you know, the, the real record hounds are in there at the crack of dawn, buying up all the good stuff and paying top dollar for it at the thrift st stores, which is something I wouldn't have even thought of years ago. Are we going to start seeing a boom on people being like, oh, I got to buy that up because you can't, can't get it anywhere. It's a collector's item now, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it... That story ties very well into the next one, which is, so Netflix uh, has started its crackdown. So we had talked about this, I think, in previous episodes. They were going to do this big crackdown. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'll, I'll find a better link to it. I had put in a link to an opinion piece from the Globe and Mail here in Canada, which is password protected. They, do, they have, obviously, uh, only subscriber content. In some cases, I have a subscription, so I can read it. But um, 
the crux of this piece is that, you know, they've started this crackdown in a few different select markets that is basically saying, you know, only people in your household that share your address can use your uh, login. That is to say, if mm-hmm. you have a child who's gone off to school, if you have, a, you know, a, a new adult who's gone off to their own place or anything like that, or whatever other arrangements you have, you share with your mom or your dad or your grandpa or whatever, uh, that is now off the table unless you are willing to pay a premium on top of that. For every additional person who uses your account outside of your household, you now have to pay $8 Canadian per month at their hmm. top tier plan. So it's not nothing. It's not exorbitant, but it's certainly, you know, it's a dig. And this piece is basically saying, you know, if you look at what Netflix is offering you and the fact that they're probably going to have to slow down on the production of original content because it's so expensive and they are so deeply in debt and their business model of just keep adding subscribers, just keep adding subscribers that'll pay for this stuff is now plateaued. It may not be worth you spending the money on anymore, which in turn is going to basically shoot itself in the foot. And at which point you won't want your subscription and you'll cancel your subscription or subscriptions. And it suddenly becomes a a, a superfluous service. So I'm really interested in knowing from the both of you. I mean, Tim, obviously, this is affecting us here in Canada. Jaime, they're coming for you apparently later this year. They're they're rolling Mm -hmm. it out in places like Canada to sort of see... Uh, you know, what it does, but then it's coming everywhere else. You know, does this tip the scales to like, you know, how much do you really need Netflix? Because we talked about this before. Netflix was kind of teetering for me. Uh, There are certainly some shows that I really enjoy. They do produce really good content. But, you know, beyond, you know, because of their release model, especially because they do the drop everything at once model, which a lot of other services don't do, I could just get it for one month a year and pay for one month, and watch the things I want, and then throw it away. How about you? Yeah, I, um, I'm i probably close. Um, Inertia has kept it off, and I don't have anybody else sharing the the uh, the account stuff. We don't have like a family member elsewhere that's, that's streaming. Uh, it's just all here within our literal household, or on occasion, if we're on travel. But nothing that would run afoul of even their kind of more restrictive roles. So for mm. us, it isn't a huge impact on the on the Lopez calculation, as been said on this show. <laughs> it's uh, it's more the other stuff around, like yeah, you know, if you don't keep me, you know, month to month with uh, brand new, you know, brand new content, then uh, maybe I will unsubscribe and resubscribe when something else comes out. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to be part of the conversation when things like Stranger Things or you know, they certainly have some temples. I enjoyed their their Sandman adaptation last year. They, they still produce good content. The question is, if they're having an issue with these subscriber numbers, and I, I got to be honest, I think a, like the feedback seems to be on social media and on places like Reddit, there's a lot of blowback where people are like, it was only worthwhile because I could share it. It's not worthwhile anymore. I'm done. I'll be really curious to see if, uh, you know, if this does have any immediate negative uh, impacts for them. But yeah, like does seem a little bit especially when you look at the value that you're getting from something like disney plus which costs significantly less and is still producing good content now it's very important to know that netflix is not alone in this right like this is netflix is the canary in the coal mine for this problem disney's got deep pockets but they can't keep rolling out the content like they have been and as a matter of fact i saw kevin feige interviewed this week saying we're probably going to scale down on the number of 
Marvel shows that we put on Disney Plus, you know, over the next little while, because they kind of went hog wild for a while there during the pandemic. It seems like they needed to scale back. But yeah, across the board, you got to start asking yourself, you know, do you need to have this at all times? You know, places we joke about Paramount Plus. But, you know, if they're going to roll out five Star Trek series and stagger them over the course of the year, they probably got the winning strategy right now. Yeah. I mean, like, the the thing about it is, like, you know, um, I mean, password sharing is something that shouldn't be happening anyway, because, I mean, in this era of, of there are nasty people out there and bad actors out there anyway, nobody should be using any kind of account that doesn't have two-factor authentication. That's the one side of it from a security side. The second side is... Um, is it really fair that Netflix is providing this service and it's a subscription service and people are cheating? I mean, like, mm. you know, as a software developer, I say, no, it's not fair. But, you know, so... Um, but do you think so people I, use I that as part of their calculus, that they're like, no, but it, I but spend my this because I'm, I have I'm, it? Where, where I'm going with this is, I think what the real calculation that Netflix needs to do is... And they probably have done the math on this and they probably have got all the, they probably, you know, stroke themselves and give themselves enough pats on the back to realize that this is a, a wise decision is how much is this password? Share? Do we, I mean, we talked about the numbers a few months ago. I can't remember, but how much of their bottom line is being affected by password sharing? Is it like 33%? Is it like 5%? I mean, like, you know, at, at the risk of everybody using the Lopez calculus from now on, <laughs> I mean, like, I, like, if you ask me today, like, what, what do I, what am I watching on Netflix right now? Nothing, hmm. right? Did I watch Ozark? You damn right, I did. I sat down and watched the whole thing, and I binged it in like two days. I, I mean, I don't like Netflix's, um, like you said about Paramount and Disney and, and Apple TV. They've all got the right idea. Give us an episode at a time. Keep us on the hook, right? Mm-hmm. Netflix puts it all out there. Like, you know, I mean, I sat down and watched something the other day. I can't remember what it was, but, but, you know, I spent two days just watching this show, which was because everything was available. It wasn't on Netflix. It was another, another uh, uh, service. But if you put it all out there, you know, there's no reason for people to con- continue with a subscription. I mean, Netflix is lucky because they started from the mail-in, you know, yeah. DVD thing. Like, you didn't have to go to the physical blockbuster thing. You got the disc sent to you. And in fact, I didn't use, didn't one of your stories say something about Blockbuster or maybe that was what it that was. That was the headline your... on the Globe and Mail story was basically that uh, the, the crackdown could lead to a Blockbuster kind of failure. Ironically, we couldn't read the article. Uh, <laughs> Speaking but, of bad uh, business models. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Admittedly, if you're, if you're borrowing a password and you don't think you're doing something wrong there, you, you, I'm telling you right now, you are doing something wrong. Right. By the same token though, I mean, like I, I kind of wonder, I mean, I gotta say, I hate to say this, but when Netflix went down a couple of months ago, I bought Netflix stock and I'm now in, I'm now making money off of Netflix right now. I'm a shareholder. Right. Oh, so, here comes the truth. I may. He's, this yeah. is all. This is all playing oh, for yeah. big, for, for big Tim's bank account. Dollars that I've made on <laughs> Netflix, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, like, like you know, the reality is, is I don't care what Netflix does as long as my the few stock. I think I have four shares or something ridiculously <laughs> small. But as long as that goes up, right? I don't care, right? But but you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm on. I I agree with them that yeah, people people cheating is wrong. Um, people who are cheating know they're doing something wrong. If they don't think they're doing something wrong, like if you, like, you know, if you're, if you're a kid and, and, you know, you say to your dad, here's the password, just log in. And the dad logs into the device and doesn't think he's doing something wrong. That dad needs to question his, his choices. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, you are, 
technically take you're actually getting something that you should be paying for right at the end of the day right so i i, I kind of see netflix's uh, point but my point is as business people have they really done the math on how many people are going to piss off by this i'd be really curious to see what it, I, you know we're looking at it from the the prism of uh you know our ages too i really would be curious to know what Gen we grew Z. up in the Netflix or sorry the Napster era, right? Well, that's like, it. I, you know, I, you know. Uh, again, Jaime, you're the youngest of us, so maybe you have the youngest perspective on this. Uh, of you know, the idea, you know, pirating or you know, using sites that you know have torrents or whatever else is, uh, or Napster or whatever else has been part of sort of the existence for a lot of people in the bottom end of Gen uh, Gen X into Gen Y and into Gen Z for sure. Even like buying bootleg records, like I, I remember going downtown and you would see the white, you know, the white covers that had no artwork on them. And it would say Pink Floyd at, mm -hmm. you know, the Olympian Stadium in, in, you know, 1977, whatever. Like people would buy that. You'd buy that. And like they weren't as, as available as they are today, but that was the only way to get these recordings. Right. Mm -hmm. And now they're all over the place. There's all kinds of stuff being surfaced from bootlegs and things. Right. But um, well, and, yeah, and sorry, the smart I, people are doing their authorized bootlegs. Right. The, the wise ones. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Like Pearl Jam, what they, they didn't they didn't they release every single show that they did one year on a tour a couple of years ago? Yeah, they have a whole like catalog of of you know you can watch it. And the I mean the Pixies on one of their tours a number of years back basically you could buy a CD of the show you just saw. You basically just registered and they you know got a got a, a DVD or a CD. We need to get the youngster position. I kind of cut them off. So <laughs> oh yes, please. I, yeah, I think you know it's one of those things where. Um, when I was younger and had more time, granted the the software and availability and other stuff was, uh, you know, not as good back then. So it kind of took more time to to find your oh this uh, this anime fell off a truck from Japan, yeah, right? <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and it made more sense. And as uh, you know, becoming a you know old, uh, old kind of more older established professional, I'm like, yeah, I kind of just want to throw down my. How much is it? Five, ten, fifteen dollars? But fine. There you go. Give me all the stuff I need. That works so much easier. So the the whole idea of making it so challenging of like, oh, uh, you're not on the right tier. Oh, you needed to add this channel. Oh, did you not get the battle pass? Or is like, Wait, just just take my money. <laughs> I'm offering it to you. When you try to segment these things or crack down on these things so hard, you are making it seem like well. Maybe it's not that bad of an idea to go pirate this thing because nowadays that stuff is apparently so much easier. It's a Google search away. You can be on like a Signal or Telegram channel. People will probably just send you a link of like, hey, here's this thing and uh, just download it off my Dropbox. Like it's so much easier now to to pirate that I don't understand why they would, as content producers, ever, ever take the chance of letting things slip back to that. Right, like you, you lucked out that you got into the streaming world. It's basically easy money if you don't mess it up with dumb stuff, just real basic dumb stuff. Like, yes, it, there is risk. Content can be problematic, but we've talked about on this show just to address the Disney thing of like, oh, uh, they kind of went hog wild and with uh, their own words, right, and and overdid stuff. Uh, Paramount Plus, kind of same thing. It's like, guys, guys, if you have multiple shows. Never let them overlap. Not the marquee ones, right? You you want to mm -hmm. let the kids shows overlap. You want to let some of the other ones. Sure. But how many times do we say, oh, man, we've got the final episode of this thing, which overlaps with the premiere episode of this other thing. 
in the same week. And it, it adds stress, you know, as an inside baseball thing, it adds stress to this channel, uh, to this podcast. And I'm thinking, well, if you do that with a handful of shows, you have burned a month of free money that you could have had by just merely having them go back to back to back instead of overlapping them. And I'm sure they'll say, well, we had this reason. Well, because Holly is like, yeah, just don't be dumb about it. Look, if you got like four shows that overlap, you've lost a month out of the year, right? Yeah. Uh, one, one twelfth of the year, like people literally don't even have to pay for your stuff. So why do that when, and I'm not saying they should be evil about these things either, right? Like, oh, let's leave a weird one week gap where there's nothing just so we, ha ha ha, we can gain a free month out of you. Like, I'm not <laughs> saying do that. Just like do the sensible thing, you know, January to February. It's this show, March to uh, April. It's that show. And then do that. Don't do this. Oh, well, we moved this to Friday and then this one moved to Wednesday. But then this week there's like three episodes. Like, just just don't do that. <laughs> That's why people uh, lost track. That's why people, uh, you know, say, hey, I'll just wait and then I'll just binge it all because you're, you're overcomplicating it. Just just do it like you would do for, in many ways, regular broadcast television. Now, I know I say that with a lot of... Uh, weirdness because they also do funny things of like mid-season finale and we're stopping this thing for like three weeks for no reason and then we'll bring it back ignoring that just the traditional stuff of like from this date to this date here's content and then from that date to this other date here's content right the the linear nature of broadcast television sort of forced a little bit more rigor that somehow has been lost and forgotten in the streaming world that's my that's my two cents and the other thing tv is moving to a new night like I watch shows religiously on Sunday night, and, and one of my shows I've been watching for years now, like four or five seasons in, moved to Tuesday, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, so I PVR it on Tuesday now, but I, I haven't watched a single episode since they moved to Tuesday, and I've got like, you know, six of them stacked up on my PVR. You know, and, and remember the other nuns, the other high-pressure tactic that Disney used to do? Remember the, you know, get this before it goes back into the vault and yeah. you won't see it again? Kind of like... Like that, is that completely gone now that Disney has a channel? Like, and you can watch any, like, you know, are, is there stuff still stuck? Is Bambi still in the vault? You I'm know? surprised like, they haven't, they haven't gone to that model where they're like, hey, for, you know, January and February only, you can watch this stuff. Maybe we'll bring it back in the future, but you don't know. It seems like a smart strategy. People would cancel their subscription if they did that, I'm sure. But you can right? do that on a rotating basis with like Disney classic movies or certain shows. It's it's an opportunity for sure for them to sort of string you out, as as Jaime said, to sort of you know get the most money out of you. Again, I'm glad they don't. Uh, particularly if I had Disney Plus and I had small children, and I was like, let me get this straight. You just took off like Cinderella, and my daughter loves Cinderella. I'm no, 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 it's unacceptable. Like you know, if they had pulled Cars off when my son was in his deep into Cars phase, like no way. There's just no way. Um, but yeah, I mean. The thing is, these services are going to have to get, and the services and the corporations behind them are going to have to get creative. If if there is this deep market saturation, which again, we've been talking about for quite a while, if there are these issues tied to, you know, how you can watch and how much you can watch and what they're pulling down off the services, you know, I think we all had it in our mind. And I actually heard a, a really great interview. I can't recommend this enough. Uh, I'll try and find the link. Uh, Casey Blois, the CEO of HBO, was on uh, the Watch podcast last week. And it was fascinating because he was his his point was if you thought you were going to get like everything that HBO has ever done in one place for one low price for all eternity, don't you think you were a little naive? And I was like, you know, he's not wrong. 
Like, that does seem wildly unsustainable. But also, maybe we did. Like, I kind of assumed that since they created multiple seasons of Westworld, that I was going to be able to watch Westworld ad infinitum as long as I had the service that provided, that created that content. It never occurred to me that, like, they could be like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. You have to go somewhere else. Yeah, I think it sort of gets interesting when you think about, like, the back catalog stuff of, like, what's the marginal catalog, uh, what's the marginal cost of, like, um, Friends, which I don't even remember where the rights are right now. But let, let's pretend it eventually will make its way back home to NBC's Peacock, right? Mm. Like, hand-wavy engineering effort and data services costs and stuff. Like, that's all well-known. It's all easily bound. There's zero effort being put into Friends today. Yes, they may eventually do uh, another, like, get-together cast sort of thing. But ignoring the special, I'm talking literally the show as it aired. Zero effort put into it today. It is the the best sort of thing where, like, there are apparently enough people who just want to watch Friends, either out of nostalgia or if they were too young for the show, they kind of want to see what it was like in the 90s. I feel like it's not unreasonable to expect that sort of thing to stay there or accessible somewhere forever. It's like, hey, this is, you know, this is not like a new thing that people are going to drop down a ton of money for it costs you basically nothing why would you remove it why would you put it elsewhere um i think that was the thing honestly i think more than anything i think it's i think it's the royalty stuff i think it's it's the amount especially for a show like hbo i'm sure there's a lot of back-end money going to those actors and creators and stuff like that i think that's what's driving a lot of this is that there's a lot of money that they have to continue to lay out for something that they don't see as as you know, bringing enough eyeballs to merit keeping it, right? If you've got, mm-hmm. you know, like, think of the number of A-list actors they had on Westworld. Now, and, and Friends, for that matter, I bet you every one of those members of Friends in their second contract probably had a deal in there that basically said, like, every time you sell a DVD or, you know, license it to some other country or it appears somewhere, I get another, you know, nickel. Well, you start adding up those nickels per stream and, you know, then they're like, yeah, we don't want to show this show anymore. Yeah, yeah, the the contracts gets real interesting, which I don't know how you make a better a better consumer based contract that would kind of make it, you know, minimal to nothing at all for royalties that doesn't end up hurting the the actors and the the, and the show writers and the creators yeah, and, the and that's the problem. And, and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like and that's I you know, I I fundamentally agree with Tim's point. If you value art, pay for art, right? Television, movies uh, music, whatever, if you if you have value in it. And that's why I like going to music concerts, which I do fairly regularly, because I know that more directly that the attending of a concert and the buying of merchandise at a show goes more into the pockets of those artists. So that's my way of supporting their work. But, uh, you know, where are those lines? Like right now, if the, the contracts are prohibitive and they're ending up, you know, coming back around, it's unsustainable. Like I can't have all the streaming services that I want to have because it's just not feasible, especially with the, you know, the rising inflation and everything else. It just doesn't seem sustainable. And yeah, like it's, it's unquestionable that some of these are going to be merged and it's unquestionable that some of these are going to fail. And it could be something as big as Netflix, Tim. Maybe we'll get out of that stock. (laughs) I'm going to let it ride. (laughs) All right. I'm sure we're not done with this topic, but let's be done with it for now. Yeah, let's move on to the main reason why we're on this show. That is to talk about something Star Trek related. And this week was the premiere of season three, episode one, Picard. 
The Next Generation. Woo! Da, da, da. Such an original title. Sing it with me. Da, 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 da. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, they also had the the, uh, the the of course they did the gratuitous flyby scene of the new Titan uh, with the with the music from the Star Trek movie, right? Which I thought was hilarious. The two of them in the shuttle driving or flying around the ship, and yeah, it wasn't quite the ten minute scene we saw in that movie, but it was the same sort of effect, right? Yeah. Well, that's, and then it's funny because my my son and I watched it together. And he joked, he's like, oh, I said, oh, it's the new Titan. And then they mentioned the, you know, it's the new, con- new Neo-Constitution class. And I started laughing. He said, great, now we're going to get a 10-minute flyby. I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I was, I, what I was thinking was, where's Lieutenant Boimler? Yeah. Yeah, really. So, yeah, interesting show. I mean, uh, I didn't do my homework. and I mean, I watched it. I didn't do the, uh, I enjoyed it. I didn't do the elevator pitch or the pew, pew, pew. And well, the pew, 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 I think was, was for me, was, was, um, um, Beverly Crusher at the beginning. But oh, okay. That was a yeah. genuine pew, pew, pew moment. Yes, definitely. With, with pew, pew, pew and everything. And, and, you know, like, and, and the, the, the kill shot, you know, mm. that Riker calls out was like badass, right? Mm. And it's funny because you, you're kind of like, well, wait, this is a doctor who's done the Hippocratic Oath and all that kind of stuff. And, and yet she's willing to defend herself, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was interesting. It's kind of, a, I guess my elevator pitch for this show would have been, you know, um, let's explore every trope of, you know, rebooting a franchise in the shape of them you know, taken off with a ship. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some callbacks uh, to be to be found. I don't know if they qualify as like Easter eggs in in some of these. Kind of depends on your your opinion. My my elevator pitch was was pretty similar to what I think many other folks would be of like you know a, a mysterious message from Doctor Crusher causes Picard to try getting the crew back together to figure out what's going on in this mystery. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's very similar to why I had the you know mysterious call from an Enterprise colleague gets Picard and Riker out of mothballs and back into trouble, and it's it's a, yeah that's pretty much the bottom line on this episode, and and a, and a good mystery, right? Isn't that how season two started? Like the t- mysterious message to Picard gets him out of mothballs. Well, that was one, right? Because that was the one. Was it one? With, yeah, because oh. two was the one where uh, the, the Borg thing, right? I guess yeah, it was no, both. We, we, yeah, you have to come rescue us, and you yeah, know, like yeah, they get to get this weird message from the Borg, right, to come to this coordinate. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I just I love the fact that you know these these starship captains can look at like three numbers and know exactly. I, I don't know if you've ever looked at longitude and latitude. It's impossible to look at the numbers and say where they are mm-hmm. definitively. These guys but know these guys look at these coordinates and they kind of go, "Oh my God, that's in the Rigel Seven system." You know, like I don't know how they do that. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the PPP I had for this one was the, the, uh, the destruction scene for, uh, oh, the, the part where, uh, where, um, Rick uses his portal to yeah, have the thing follow the one and gun. Yeah. come through the ceiling. Yeah, that was very, very cool to see. And I mean, obviously it was a digital effect, but, uh, you know, we've certainly seen that kind of thing in a cartoon to see it done in quote unquote real life was, was pretty horrific. You know, like, as I said to my son, as we watched it, I'm like, nobody lived. Like, nobody lived. Like, there are there are ways that things are destroyed in these shows where you're like, well, maybe there's some survivors. Yeah, nobody lives. Everybody's dead. Yeah. Well, we can sort of skip ahead to the, because the, the, the statue in front of this building was mm. the... That was the Rachel. Easter egg. That was the yeah. Easter egg. So how do we know who that is? Uh, well, Rachel Garrett. The name rang a bell. Uh, mm-hmm. I had to go to, uh, to our usual uh, sources online. 
to find out uh, why it rang a bell. But Rachel Garrett was the captain of the Enterprise C in the classic episode Yesterday's Enterprise, where the Enterprise comes uh, through a portal and into an alternate future where Tasha Yar has not died. And, of course, that spins into uh, her being captured in the alternate in the real universe uh, because she stays aboard the Enterprise C and that gets destroyed, but she ends up getting taken prisoner and uh, that creates the the, the Tasha Yar daughter storyline in the Romulans. Um, But yeah, the fact that, you know, we get the Rachel Garrett mention and, you know, this sort of terrorist attack uh, using this device, which Rafi sort of refers to and and says that this is a a quantum device, right? Mm -hmm. So timey-wimey. Uh, I thought that was particularly telling and interesting and, and a bit of a tip to where we're going with all this. But, um, and, and, you know, again, there's lots of foreshadowing. If you, if you're looking around this show, there's, there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of foreshadowing in different spots here. They, you know, couldn't have made, mentioned Frontier Day enough times, the 250th anniversary of, you know, the Frontier Day. And oh, what does that mean? Have, you, and, have uh, you got your chaps ready for that? For Frontier Day? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, 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 I found the, the Rachel Garrett stuff really interesting. It got my mind sort of percolating on, okay, well, what does this mean? We know she died. We know she died as part of that mission. Um, it's funny because, you know, when, you, when they were doing the scene in Guinan's bar where, you know, Riker was waiting for Picard at the bar and they've got all these little models of the Enterprises over the year. Uh, and they start talking about, you know, the different Enterprises. And of course, that's a tip back to, you know, well, what about the Enterprise C? which is kind of the forgotten enterprise. Um, Yeah. I I thought this was really interesting foreshadowing for, for the possibilities of, of wrapping in what was maybe one of the very best TNG episodes in yesterday's enterprise. True. Yeah. And then, and then the bartender referring to the enterprise models as the fat one. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I had that as my my quote of like, you know, Riker saying, why do you have so many enterprise D's? And she says, Oh, the fat ones, nobody wants those. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's also a couple of other good Easter eggs in there, too. So uh, they, they, at one point, they're talking about a mission to Rigel 7. Rigel 7, of course, is where the cage, the original mm-hmm. Star Trek pilot, was set. So that was a nice yeah. little 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 tip in there. And then that first scene of the show where they're, like, panning past all of Beverly's stuff, right? We hear Picard's log from uh, mm-hmm. the very first encounter with the Borg. We hear... Uh, you know, we see lots of, we see her, her pearls from the uh, episode where she's, uh, where they go back into the gangster and the holodeck uh, mm-hmm. thing. There's just, there's a, I saw a list online. There's, there's a ton of stuff in that, that first scene alone um, to sort of sort through. So yeah, lots, lots of good stuff. We, I mean, Picard, of course, is going to have a lot of Easter eggs because it is obviously building on the legacy of not just uh, Star Trek, the next generation in this case, but Star Trek lore for the last 50 plus years. So you'd expect a lot of good Easter eggs and they certainly delivered uh, even that uh, scene where they were doing the credits at the end, where they're sort of panning past the control panels and there's all these different words written on the control panels. I have not done a slow-mo rewatch of that, but uh, you know, my son was sort of saying, well, well, what what did that say? What does that mean? What does that mean? What does that what, mean? At the very end, the end titles, you mean? Yeah. The, the end titles were, you know, they're panning past all these control panels. One of them, one of them was holograph. The holodeck with with all the safety protocols turned off was one of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. 
Um, so yeah, like they, you know, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff in there. And uh, and Tim, you got a, a personal Easter egg in that too. Yeah. So this is my personal Easter egg. Is my friend Rick Sarabia. He's been hinting on Facebook that he's been in a couple of interesting shows coming up. And I, I thought this was going to be one. He did mention he's got a recurring recurring role in the show coming up, but he hasn't said what it is. Actually, no, it's not this. It's not this one. But I, he he never mentioned a single thing about this disappearance um, when Rafi's. W- walking through to go meet her Orion drug dealer, she bumps into somebody, and the person she bumps into is my old housemate from university, Rick Sarabia, who I've had, I've interviewed him on, on several shows, but yeah, he's, it's funny when he shows up in a movie, because I just, it's like you see him, and then there's, for, sec, for a second there, I see just an actor, and then I realize it's Rick, <laughs> and then, you know, everything you know falls off from there. First time I ever saw him in a movie was because I didn't see him in the movie. He was so good. Like he's in Short Circuit Two, mm. which was filmed near the Toronto Center, yeah, yeah. and he's one of the homeless people assembling the robots for the in the story. And mm. it wasn't until I was watching the end credits that I saw the I saw his name, and I and I just leapt up off the couch and ran to the VCR. It was on VH, VHS back then, and rewound. And my daughter's like, "What? What is the big deal here?" What? And I, I tried to explain to her, but she was too young to understand what I was going on about this crazy man mm-hmm. but uh yeah so my friend rick was in this one i mean i thought it was cool that he acted in a movie with clint where he was directed by clint eastwood i thought that was the pinnacle but i gotta say being in a star trek episode that definitely takes takes the cake yeah <laughs> congratulations rick not that you'll ever listen to this show <laughs> yep um i had some big questions which, you know, obviously the biggest one is, is, you know, obviously how does this tie into the enterprise C? No, I have a bigger, I have a bigger question. Okay. You go huge, first. A huge, big question. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait. Yeah. So in all good things. Yeah. Right. Crusher and, um, Picard are divorced. Like they were once married. And then this one, he doesn't even sort of acknowledge any kind of prior relationship with her. Well, he does a little bit with Laris. He sort of says, you know, we kind of started a thing, but it never really went anywhere, right? She said you tried. Well, I'm sorry, but getting married is a little bit more than just trying to be lovers. But then we also know that that whole storyline got undone by Picard knowing his future thanks to Q, right? So nothing that oh. we saw in that future actually happens anymore because so much of it has changed by what we've seen in Picard and everything else, right? So, yeah, that, in theory, that whole future never happened. So Michael Keaton's going to show up in a Batman costume, is what you're going to say, right? Or possibly Andrew Garfield in a Spider-Man costume, yes. True, that's, yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I got three. Uh, At the beginning of the episode, uh, Beverly keeps, keeps racking her phaser rifle like a shotgun. What kind of crappy phaser rifle needs to be racked? <laughs> it's got it's it's a water gun, obviously. What? what? It's, it's not a super soaker. Like, what's happening? I, it, every time she did it, I was like, "Wait, <laughs> they've never had to rack these things before." It made no sense. Like, I mean, it looks badass, and you're like, "Beverly Crusher's racking a shotgun and blowing people's brains out," and you're like, "But wait, like, what? What do you? What? Like, are you loading phaser blast into it?" I think it makes no sense at all. Anyway, I'm going to struggle with that one for a while. Maybe they're photon blasts or something. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was not uh, taken aback by it. Maybe because the sequence that I saw or believed I saw, I felt like I had an explanation for it. Of like, oh, so it's got regular pew pew pews, which will, you know, hopefully kill a person, but not necessarily because she hits somebody with, with, I think, one of the regular pew pew pews. 
And then she does a, you know, pump the shotgun, pew, 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 which just obliterates them. I said, oh, maybe it's like a different disruptor. Yeah, maybe it's like a different choice. It's like there's regular pew, pew, pews. But then when you want to like get rid of the mess, then you, you know, you could go into like the settings menu and then like face ID into it. And you're like, oh, crap. It didn't catch my face. You know, it's just like, oh, instead of doing with all of that stuff, like we've seen them do before of like having to go tinker with settings to change the power levels. It's like regular pew, pew, pews and hugely destructive pew, pew, pews. Like that's how I interpreted it. But I don't know, given how quick the sequence is, whether that's actually what's supposed to be happening. Like I would have to go watch every shot and see what she does. But it's a good question. There's a Saturday morning cartoon opportunity here where, you know, you've got somebody with a phaser rifle and they're facing off against a huge Nausicaan and they're saying to the Nausicaan, hang on a second, I have got the desktop the way I want it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, I, I view I, it as uh, like a user experience uh, quality of life thing, but maybe <laughs> maybe it's just a weird thing that they, they filmed. I don't know. I, I thought it was definitely uh, strange that she's, you know, she's, yeah, she's, she's like racking this thing. Up. But I did also catch, did you notice, like that was the most machine gun-esque laser phaser rifle. Sort of like the Gatling gun Yeah, we've never of, seen uh... that kind of thing before either. I mean, mm-hmm. the, a little bit in Nemesis when they've got those, like, Jeep, the Jeep thing where they've got the, the laser phasers in there. Usually, phasers are like like one long sort of blade of, of light and in this case, it was like, you know, yeah, firing out like, like uh, you know, an M80. This thing was nuts. She she got hit in the shoulder and just singed her shoulder, and then but then like like with this other, I, I thought she went and got a different gun at one point because because she's first fighting with them and then she get I think she I, yeah I the first one dies right oh and she picks up this other one yeah, which is yeah. which is obviously like a Klingon disruptor because that just like you said it just turned them into you know yeah. single cells yeah. like you know yeah uh, a stain there that Riker was looking at when he said the kill shot was like when she pointed down and. Yeah, and we still don't know what exactly she was fighting with. They look like, uh, like you know, 17th century plague masks. The second question, yeah. Neo-Constitution class, really? Really? Neo-Constitution yeah. class? Yeah. Retro yeah. is in? Like, is that a thing? I, I guess. I have a similar question because I'm slightly confused. I, I believe we're told that it has, a, has the same registration, but it has a dash A designation. So you would think, oh, they retired the Titan. And this is now the successor. It's like the Enterprise D is a successor to the Enterprise C, right? But then uh, Captain Shaw makes it sound like he had to get the the, the stank out of the, the Titan. <laughs> and I don't know if that was metaphorical or literal. So now <laughs> I went with, is this a this old house style refit? Where, like, like I don't know if you've seen where they, they restored like, it. They, they, they tear down an entire house. And it's basically a brand new build, except for like the fireplace that stayed the same. So it's like technically, you know, a renovation and not a new build. But I'm like, dude, it's basically a new house. Like you you found a way around the law, I guess, but that's a new house. I don't understand if that's the case here. Is this a totally brand new ship or is it a dramatic? I mean, the 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 original Enterprise to the Enterprise A uh, to, sorry, to the refit is a pretty dramatic refit, but it's still, you know, things are largely in the same place, right? It's still basically the yeah. same shape. This is nothing at all like the same shape of like what, no. what did they keep of the old Titan that's still around? Like that that part was a little confusing to me. So so what you're saying is this is the spaceship of Theseus? <laughs> yeah. This is, this is the, 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 you know, they basically rebuilt it piece by piece. Is it really still the Titan? We've replaced all the self-stealing stem boats, stem bolts. 
then uh, what are you going to be right. left, right? Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, I don't know. I, I found myself just sort of shaking my head at the idea of like, you know, this seems like something the hipsters would make on a weekend, you know what I mean? Like, we're going to restore this back to its original vintage uh, quality. We're going to put in some of the old red leather. It's going to be great. Like, oh, my God. Um, and, and, of course, the last one was a real, like, what the what was the, 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 you know, the twist, of course, is the, you know, Crusher's son. Crusher's son? Yeah, he almost went, well, you know, at the end there. But, Honestly. okay, so hear me out. So if we tie this into the Yesterday's Enterprise stuff, is there a possibility that there was some timey-wimey stuff in there, you know, the, the repercussions of the sort of timey-wimey thing where he is, you know, the alternate universe's uh, Crusher's son? Like, she had a different son with Jack, a second son with Jack. Because they yeah. make a point mm. specifically in the first scene of panning past all of Beverly's stuff, and in Beverly's stuff is some of Jack's stuff. Right. And I found that pretty interesting that they would remind us that she was previously married to Jack. Yeah. Well, we'll have to wait and see for next week, right? Yeah. Because yeah. like maybe... a good hook of a first episode, like lots of little threads that are like, well, that's interesting. What about that? Well, that's interesting. What about that? Yeah, I don't know if this is like a, a, a clone of Jack. Is it a, a, a secret Picard child? Because he hasn't seen Beverly in like 20 years and given people live to like 150 or above. <laughs> you know 60 80 is the new 40 kind of thing right so not not unreasonable with their technology so my possibly premature may have to be retracted big question was you know kirk or picard who's the bigger deadbeat dad <laughs> you know it's kind of the uh the similarities here between this and uh and marcus are pretty 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 interesting to me yeah yeah um, and some great quotes, uh, you know, you obviously, you mentioned the one, uh, already, uh, you know, human patron, is that how they credit Rick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, I pulled out some of the, the poignant stuff. So, uh, Laris, a point comes in a man's life when he looks to the past to find himself, not just his future. And the response from Picard is, I'm not a man who needs a legacy. I de I need a new adventure. That obviously is a nice setup for a a final Picard season series. Um, no Starfleet, trust no one. Again, that's, uh, you know, it's a little X-Files-y, but it was an interesting line, particularly from Crusher, who we've always known as this very loyal Starfleet officer. Uh, and my favorite was just with a big, you know, only Jonathan Frakes can have that sideways smile and say, aren't we overdue for a good old-fashioned road trip? I just thought that was another, another sort of classic great line from him. Yeah. And then seven in her typical seven sort of like not not the uh, seven from last season, but almost like seven from the next generation. She sort of had that sort of sarcastic way of saying, don't get your hopes up when she's talking about the captain mm. that they haven't met yet because he's a real jerk. Oh, my God. Like that guy was amazing playing oh, heel. Oh, he was great, man. What a yeah. what a scumbag. Yeah. And he, he's he, uh, actually the line he says that that's super funny when he's already eating his, his steak or whatever it is he's eating. When Riker and, and Picard show up, he goes, your reputation's preceded you so far that I had to, I figured I better start early. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was just a, a vicious line. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then getting rid of, getting rid of all this, the stanky jazz, right? Yeah. Oh, I mean, he, um, could, he could not have been more of a tool. <laughs> yeah, true. 
Um, because yeah, it's, who's the guy that was in the or the uh, the actor that was in one of the one of the Star Treks? Not the I mean the fourth one where I think where um Kirk and crew. Oh yeah, the ship. yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from yeah, Beverly he, Hills he was, 90210, right? Yeah, he was a, he was a dweeb captain, right? Yeah, you know, he's like a Boimler captain. Oh no, that's part that's part six. I'm thinking about the guy. You know, when it's the part where they steal the Enterprise in part three in in Star Trek three when they steal the Enterprise and they they've sabotaged the Excelsior, but the smug yes. captain doesn't know yet. That, yes, yeah, that, that part guy. is hilarious. Where he's like, yeah, he's, they think they're gonna outrun us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a pretty big, pretty big tool. He was a cop or something like that on a cop show, wasn't he? I, I, I know think he was. I know I think he, he was, was in Hill Street Blues. Yeah, Street he's Blues. one of those those guys, right? He's been in like a yeah, ton yeah. of stuff over the years. Yeah, he played. He, I think he was sort of the the by the book cop from Hill Street Blues, which was unusual because no, there wasn't a single person in that show that was uh, was. Uh, by the way, my my. Um, the, the lawyer from that show was a friend of is a sister of a friend of mine. Hmm. But anyway, um, Mimi Kuzak. Uh, but yeah, watch it, freak. I'm not your dealer. Was was the line by Human Patron played by Rick Sarabia. <laughs> Wait, good on you, Rick. Way to represent Canada in there. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. As was, uh, somebody was talking the other day about how you have to do in Canada to become an actor you, to be taken seriously, you have to do Shakespeare, and he actually was at. The Shaw Festival hmm. and all that stuff for a while. Cool. So, yeah. yeah. Interesting. I mean, good show. I mean, yep. uh, you know, I mean, some of the Picards in the past have been okay, um, but this was this was uh, compelling enough that you know I think it's it's um, a good send off for a new season. I, unfortunately, I mean, like I did mention at the top that there were a few Star Trek tropes that were you know a little, a little on the nose, but mm. you know. But I think yeah, the the ten minute flyby with the music from the first movie was was hilarious, right? Yeah, I I will say uh, it definitely it was a it was a, a a good start. I found it. Did you guys find it ended kind of a little abruptly? I don't know. It was just like yeah, you know. And there's this giant ship out there, and it was just like oh, and that's the end of the episode. I don't know. Maybe it just uh, maybe I'm getting spoiled by some of these like two part intros and stuff. The shape mm-hmm. of it too. It's it was almost like the one that came after. Um, Spock in uh, in one of the um, the J.J. Abrams ones, like that, um, mm. you know, that mining ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That big thing with the prongs, right? Yeah, it kind yeah. of, it kind of. Um, My son said it looked like a batleth. Yeah, but yeah, sort of, like just like sort of it, dangerous to you know at all angles. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand the, the aerodynamic design of that kind of approach to things, mm. right? Because I think, I think some of the war, some of the Romulan war, warbirds had that sort of forward-facing kind of menacing look like the big green ones from the, the next generation right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you know, they would look like they could you know swat you when 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 like when that's easter egg hunt because it feels like it's almost a public service announcement so picard 47 alpha tango is a 20 years plus reused password that you should not be doing <laughs> for security reasons um get a password manager you know uh, it's, yeah, I was amazed that he remembered the password from that long ago. To be honest with mm-hmm. you, yeah. unless that was his one password password, right? Yeah, that's funny. But definitely, that that was funny. Well, yeah, and even the, I mean, the, I, the other one we didn't mention was the, the the painting, right? The painting over his fireplace is yeah. the one from the ready room on the Enterprise D. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Said, that's that, that big huge painting that he wants to, to wants to give to Jordy. But coming back to the password, though, Jaime, don't you think they should be using like a UB key or or two factor <laughs> authentication of some type? I did wonder 
if Picard was just like totally hosed by the demise of Data, where Data was his two FA. Come here, yes, sir. Can you can you put your uh, finger on this? I need to I need to read this document. Okay, cool. Thanks, Captain. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Can you please put in yeah. my eight thousand? Uh, what was what was the episode where he has the isolinear chips? Can you please put in your isolinear chip code? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Again, like why? Again, why would Data have to key in anything? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, yeah. the fact that he at the end of uh, of um, first contact, right? He just he can you know he can undo or do anything he wants, right? Like he's he's the ultimate supercomputer. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Cool. All right, we'll move on to the Star Star Wars section of the show, which is uh, we're recapping what happened in Bad Batch while we were on hiatus here, right? Um, was there anything else that we're... Yeah, was it, pretty much this is the only show that we were well, watching besides this one. Th- right? There is one more show. Oh, one more show. As long as we've all been watching it. Oh, mm-hmm. yes. Yes, that's true. Yes. The last show. Yes. But, uh, yeah, the, the Bad Batch has had to sort of, you know, a lot of what you kind of expect from Bad Batch has had a few sort of Adventure of the Week stories. We did get a, a nice one, I think it was three weeks ago, where we got to see uh, one of the characters from a classic episode of Clone Wars. We saw as a, a, a Jedi youngling getting his uh, kyber crystal in, the, in a classic episode uh, come back. So, of course, that's, um, you know, coming back as, as the Wookiee. The Wookiee Warrior, which we hadn't seen, uh, the Wookiee Jedi, which we hadn't seen before. Um, so that was kind of fun. But the real thing that was on that we that we uh, were on our hiatus for was the the two parter uh, that was last week, where we kind of get the origin story that we've never gotten before of how the Empire switches from having a clone army to having a uh, a recruited army, and. It's funny because the first episode doesn't have the Bad Batch at all. It's really kind of centered around, you know, the Senate and the intrigue there. And then, you know, we do get, you know, Captain Rex. And then, of course, we get the second episode that involves them going on this mission to try and, uh, you know, expose the truth. But it's so funny because, you know, obviously this is, you know, yet yet another example of the Phantom Menace that is, uh, is you know, now Emperor Palpatine. And, and we even got Ian McDiarmid coming back to play the voice of of Palpatine, who gives this great speech at the end of the episode, uh, where basically, no matter how they played it, he basically had it all lined up so that he could get what he wanted, which was uh, to basically decommission all the clones and uh, have this recruited army. I'm still not sure I see the the value in not having the clones like the clones worked out pretty well from them they programmed them they killed all the jedi like why wouldn't he want more of them well but by the same token though maybe maybe he had to get rid of the clones to to hide the evidence of how he had them made to do this to to destroy the jedi right like data destruction yeah yeah it seems like more and more of the clones were sort of waking up as it were to the fact that like their programming was you know Good, good soldiers follow orders is not going to fly for everybody. And we just saw that, obviously, in, in season, uh, the newest season, episode two, where we saw uh, Cody, right? Cody defects and then leaves because right. he doesn't, you know, he doesn't agree with, with what they've done. And he tried personally to try and put a hole through uh, Obi-Wan. So, yeah, that was a really, I think, a, a really important episodes. I think, you know, I like Bad Batch and I enjoy all the episodes for what they are. But there's certainly ones that are a lot more meaningful. We also had the the I've forgotten the name of the guy the the insider guy um, 
What's what's the name of the the what's Ahsoka's name? Is it Voltron Fulcrum. or something like that? It's Fulcrum. Like, Fulcrum. Yeah. But yeah, he's he tells them he's Fulcrum, but but he's not Fulcrum, right? Um, but he's he's definitely an insider because he's been in a few episodes where from Clone Wars, I believe, right? Yeah. Where or Rebels? Rebels. I, I think Rebels. Yeah, where he's actually he is a, like a, a I don't know what you call these guys. Like he's in the he's double in the Empire, yeah. But he's a double agent kind of thing, yeah. Like, because yeah, there's a few. I think what, what's what's the name of the the young guy in um, Rebels? Uh, Ezra. Ezra, yeah. Yeah, he. There's one where he, there's an episode where he helps Ezra sabotage something or other mm-hmm. and cover his trail, cover his path. So he shows up and and but he tells the Bad Batch that he's he's Fulcrum or he he's on their side, Fulcrum. yeah. I think he I think he probably uses that as a code word to say I'm or is Fulcrum a movement of people. I mean, multiple people like have rebellion. used it, in, it yeah. and then use it in the rebels context. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I guess the other milestone that comes out of this episode is that Echo decides to leave the Bad Batch and go with Rex. So we're, we're not only have we already lost uh, Crosshair, who who you know defected in season one very early, but now uh, they're down another member, and that spills into this week's episode, which is really about the Bad Batch kind of coping with the fact that they're one less person, and that you know. Uh, um, Omega is definitely struggling with, you know, the, the, the fallout of what they've just gone through and the change and, and how it's being done. And of course, Tech is taking a very pragmatic approach because he is a very pragmatic character and, and that sort of rubs her the wrong way. So this whole episode this week was kind of about the, the, the way that each of them is processing that, uh, that change in their, in their status quo. And she's struggling and he's not so much and, and they sort of come to it. I thought, he actually had a really good line. I, you know, sometimes I fish through and I don't have a lot of great quotes when doing the poll quotes for this one, but I really liked the line from Tech in this episode where he said, uh, I'm not sure how I should care about change. It's a fundamental part of life. I thought that was actually quite poignant um, mm-hmm. as a line. You know, it, it's it's a, one of those beautiful truisms that, that, that pop up in the show every once in a while. The the one that I want to ask you, you both, having seen the episodes uh, from yesterday, is uh, so Omega is in there and she's drawing the, uh, you know, um, special ore out that is explosive so that she can help them collect the stuff that they need. And she gets a little ambitious and she falls and falls into this like sort of nothingness. You don't you don't you know, you don't know what's down there. And without hesitation, Tech just jumps down the hole after her. Do you think he knew that there was water under there, or did, was that just a leap of faith? Because theoretically, she could have just been follow, falling down a 50-foot chasm to a rock basement down below and shattering into a, a million little piles of goo. Didn't that seem a little strange that his move would be like, I'll just jump in after you? Well, you, you don't hear, you don't get that, that, uh, the, the, the splat noise? The, the hind, what's the hind, the hind guy, the, the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it Reinhardt or whatever? The, yeah. yeah, that, you don't get that scream that you get. And, <laughs> and, and there was, there was no, yeah, there was no her hitting the bottom sound, right? Like, you, I, no, I would have thought, I would have thought if she hit something solid, you would hear a clunk or a splash or whatever. But we didn't hear a splash either. So I just thought that was a real leap of faith by our man tech yeah, to just be like, yeah, yeah, I'm in and just, just <laughs> jump right over. I'm like... You yeah, could have just thrown yourself to your death for no reason. I was going to say, like, why wouldn't he put his like goggles down and look down and examine what he could see down there, right? Yeah, so. I mean, all he could see from where he was was just sort of this fog. Again, so. why did they take their helmets off when they call through that hole? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know, anyway, yeah, I don't know. Um, if that's supposed to 
to coincide with the uh, their family sort of thing that that even tech as sort of uh, cold and and robotic as he tends to be even he has that because you're right it it seems like an impulsive thing that like Hunter or Wrecker would be doing because they're a little bit more uh, snap to it and kind of emotional characters than tech so you mean hunter and Rekka? Rekka. yeah exactly <laughs> you gotta love that kiwi accent it really is a hell of a thing yeah definitely omega yeah i'm trying to remember who um echo is now like what was his deal so so you were i think it was you were talking about the guy who does the voices for these for the clones right mm-hmm. what's his name uh, bradley baker bradley, or something bradley like that? d baker i think yeah I don't know if you told me this or I heard this somewhere else, but when he when he does the characters, he just switches voices as he's reading the script. That's crazy. That's awesome. I know. Like because oh, I mean, sorry, like D Bradley Baker. I got it wrong. Yeah, D because I mean, what's crazy about it, yeah? Because if you listen to like Wrecker or you listen to um, Tech, their voices are completely different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And but apparently he does that in a live read. Well, it's amazing. I I, I must admit, I've thought of this numerous times while watching this show. I've thought. This is the most genius thing that any casting director's ever done. We'll hire two people and we'll have a whole show. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's yeah. basically Dee Bradley Baker and the the woman who does the voice for Omega. And you know, occasionally of course they bring in, you know, uh Rhea Perlman and and other people to be other the other roles, but really it's the two of them all the time and it's just so funny. Like imagine how much, you know, um, they must have this guy insured up the wazoo <laughs> cuz he's doing all the voices. You know, they're like, let's bring Captain Rex back. He's like, okay, let me wait. <clears throat> okay, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Smart stuff. But again, how does he keep all those different voices in his head, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so overall, what do you guys think of the, uh, the this, this sort of last stretch? Are you, uh, is it is it meeting your expectations? Do you feel like you're, you're getting into it? Is it, it does it seem How many episodes meaningful? are there in this season? I feel like it's 14 or something like that. I, I, I'll have to look it up. But... Yeah, we're just a little bit, little bit past the halfway. I mean... Like today's story was, other than the fact that they're losing their ship and now they have this conundrum of how they get home, um, you know, the, the, like the Senate one was a bit odd, but then when they, they tied it in with the part two sort of piece that made sense, right? Um, it's interesting. I don't know. It's, it's different than, I mean, they were a bit more out in the, out in the, you know, the frontier, um, in the first season, right? 16, 16 episodes, just like the first season, uh, okay. wrapping up at the end of March. So it will overlap with Mandalorian for four weeks. Hmm. Interesting. I, I find it, um, interesting as a, you know, reasonably family friendly kind of take on things. You do have like, uh, episode four faster. My, my elevator pitch for that was now this is pod racing and it's, Oh yeah, I had the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> like it, it's um, that one's definitely feels more. No, that was a weak one. Yeah, yeah you know, like uh, weekday afternoon for the kids, they can watch that. It does seem to establish a villain who may come up in the future. Um, yep. And then the other half of this show, and I think this feels very much like Star Trek Prodigy to me, where the other half of the show is establishing important canon things like. How the heck did we go from clones to Luke saying, oh, I'm going to go to the Imperial Academy and stormtroopers mm. are just regu- regular dudes. It's like, oh, it was actually this whole sequence of important political events that happened where yep. uh, Rampart used the clones to destroy the clones um, and, and did, you know, weird political, you know, moving the money around kind of stuff. And Palpatine was behind him the entire time saying, this is going to happen no matter what. It, it, it goes this way, works out. It goes this other way, 
I'll just say, oh, it's time for a change because look what happened. And, and it all just, you know, everything's coming up palpy kind of thing. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. a it's a funny show that way. Um, and that's where I don't I don't really know where to put it because it's uh, it's not like if, if folks think it's just for kids, it's it's really not. Um, and that's not to say that it's like horribly dark or whatever. There are there are some serious themes, but kind of in the old school Disney way of like, guess what, kids? bad things happen deal with it and you know move on with your life kind of thing uh the, was the line from uh, uh last of us kids die all the time yes <laughs> right. uh, and and this you know mining expedition episode did actually have what appeared to me to be the uh lion king mufasa killing stampede yep. like the, the kill yep. zone uh, uh ravine that they were in with that antelope kind of thing deer kind of thing kind of crumb through so so the question is: Have have all have all of us watched The Last of Us? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I would just like to before we get started on our talk about The Last of Us, I would just like to say for the record, when I asked you guys about this a month ago, you were both like, eh. and then I got a text from Tim like three weeks ago going, "Hey, do you have The Last of Us two video game?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. He's like, "Yeah," because I watched the show and it's awesome, and I'm playing all the video games. So I was like, "Hey, wait a minute." <laughs> no, I wanted to. So I mean the. Okay, so The Last of Us, obviously, we're talking about this. So the very first episode of The Last of Us. And so my question to you, Jonathan, is have you, you, have you played the game? I, I am currently playing. I, I had, have owned it for a long time. Came, I had the, uh, the free uh, copy of the first one that came with, I think, when I bought yeah. a PS4. So I've had that for years and years and years. So, Jaime, have you played the game? Many moons ago. So the, the modern era of, like, reboots remasters and stuff i i've not that but uh okay so so i i went online and i, I bought a 20 dollar. it's called last of us remastered because it originally came out on playstation 3 and 4 and then it was remastered for 4 yep. and then they added another um episode which is sort of a like fits in the middle of the story where um ellie's by herself but um and tells her back a little bit of her backstory right um Without, I'm obviously without doing many spoilers. The reason I ask that is because the question everybody's asking me online and in you know in chats and stuff like that is, should I play the game first or should I watch the show? Mm -hmm. And my answer to them is, I I watched the first episode and then I started playing the game, and within like the first hour of playing the game, there's a huge spoiler for episode two. Oh yeah, right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then and then uh episode 3 i believe is the one with the guy from uh, parks and rec yeah um yep what's his name you can say his name out loud so i don't try to remember what it is but um but his character is a different thing in the th in the, in the game and and the reason why i started playing the game was watching the first episode having never seen any of this stuff before there were scenes in that were that were so well done but they were so obviously part of the game right like the driving of the car in the very first beginning and some of the battles that happens, you know, you could sort of see that coming from a really well-crafted game, which is why I got curious about it. I figured, you know, it's on sale for 20 bucks. What's the worst that can happen, right? And I, and I kind of got the impression you hadn't opened it or played it or whatever. In fact, so just to fill in the story here, Jaime, the, the Last of Us 2 showed up in, on, in, you know, in my house and borrowed from Jonathan still in the shrink wrap oh yeah mm -hmm. right so it hasn't it hasn't it's untouched by any of our hands here yep i have not uh not popped it open yet so so my my advice is like you know um i i don't think you need to play the game to enjoy this show 
period, right? But like they're like the scene in the last episode, which we just saw with with the the sniper rifle, that is lifted right out of the game. There are like entire actually. scenes from yeah. all of the episodes that are lifted. Three is a bit more of a deviation. Episode three is a bit more of a deviation. But but there are like very 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 reminiscent scenes. I mean, Neil Druckmann is the director of the show. He's also the director of the game. Like, right. Yeah. There is a very straight lift in a lot of cases. And in a lot of cases, he's making decisions that are enhancing the game, like that they make logical uh, sense. Yeah. I mean, the show, the show takes the the whole story and the whole experience up another notch for sure. Like, and and that's what I mean. Like, like you're not going to, if you play the game, you're not going to spoil the show is what I've, what I found. Right. Um, except for, you know, certain points, right? But, um, but I mean, again, you don't need to play the game to enjoy the show and, but uh, playing the game or having played the game and watching the show are two mutually exclusive experiences, but it's not like where they take a book and try to make a movie out of it kind of thing, you know, where you can't have the same, you know, level and depth of detail that you have in a, in a, in a, um, in a book that you can in a movie, like we we talked about the Harry Potter first bunch of books that there's so much out of the books that they, they they've never filmed, right? They can make an entire set of films out of some of the the B plots in the Harry Potter books, right? Yeah. But yeah, so that's my point about this show is is that I'm really enjoying it. It's really, I mean, it's it's well made. I mean, it it you know it's um it's timely in terms of like how we the experience we all went through in the last three years. It's also reminiscent of things like other zombie type flick it's, they're not really zombies they call them infected right mm-hmm. um but you know like like um the walking dead only it's not the the walking dead which got really tired after like five seasons and went for what 13 um yeah no i i i think it i think it's a, a totally great consumable show so yeah sorry that i was a little you know man eh, we'll see at the beginning because <laughs> that, that's how i felt about it yeah so we got tim's buy-in how would you think Jaime? Yeah, I, I didn't know what to think of it going into it because, I mean, one, uh, video game adaptations aren't, you know, calling them hit and miss would be a little too generous, right? It makes yes. it sound 50-50. They're, they're, they're not, you know, they wouldn't have a good batting average, uh, is, no. is what I would say. So I wasn't sure about that. And I said, well, it's also a very cinematic game. So, you know, will it feel like just watching all the cutscenes back to back to back? Um, and it's not. It it is. It is not like watching the cutscenes. Uh, so the the Nick Offerman, Offerman Offerman uh, episode is. Yeah, Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett in episode three. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's a pretty big departure from from the game, but it it it's well done, and it seems like all the departures that they've done so far have been in service of emphasizing the themes. So, so I'm not imagining yeah. this like I stay and watch the after episode stuff where they talk to the producers and stuff and. It's very intentional what they're doing there. So it's it's really well done from that standpoint. Uh, I you know I love the actors that they've gotten there. It's it's a little different than Wait, there's, there's after show stuff on that. There is the show they on, have on a little HBO. meet the the yeah they do they put it on on YouTube here in Canada. You can watch it the day after. Oh okay okay yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like you know ten fifteen minutes after the show kind of stuff. And I think that that one of the things that kind of helps. Is that there is a a clear end goal in sight, which I think something like um, the Walking Dead didn't necessarily have. Yeah. yeah, it was just survive another day. Whereas this one is like, 
you know, get Ellie over to these folks, right? That's the entire goal. And and seeing how Joel gets Ellie there is is one thing, and the relationships and ever. Um, so for me, you know, I, I I played the game, and and I think that even knowing notionally what's coming is not negatively impacting my enjoyment of this. My sitting fan another never played the game, and and she weirdly is the kind who loves spoilers, which is challenging for a relationship. <laughs> so she she uh, kept asking me like, well, what ends up happening at the end? And so I I told her the ending, so she knows where it's going, and she's still enjoying the journey uh, to get there. Yeah, I, and I think that's a testament, right? Like it's so well told the the way that it's written the way that they're building these characters out that even if you do know the end, you still want to watch it happen. Yeah. True. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I wasn't sure what to do again. I'm, I'm not big on horror and I'm not big on, uh, you know, that sort of, you know, uh, traumatic kind of stuff. So I was a little lukewarm. Uh, I, I did check out a few people whose value, whose opinion I value online to sort of see what they thought. And they were like, uh, the consensus, because I, I think for critics, they said the first three or four episodes as sort of a bundle and sort of said, you know, don't just watch the first one, watch a few and see what you think. And everybody said the same thing. The first two episodes are strong. The episode three is a killer. And so I sat down once. I didn't watch it the first two weeks. I watched the three episodes on the night that three came out and watched sort of in a row. And that third episode killed me. That was so beautiful that was some of the best television and performing i have seen in my life uh with nick offerman and murray bartlett uh murray bartlett people may remember if you watch white lotus he was in the first yeah, season that was kind of almost spoiled it for me <laughs> and, and he was incredible in that very different performance uh obviously uh you know you may not even recognize him right off the hop but um but God, that was just, you know, uh, you know, I saw and there was a huge, I don't know if you guys were, were paying attention at that point, but the, the backlash was a lot of homophobic, you know, posts saying, well, why did we even need this episode? It's a real digression. We, it wasn't part of the game. We don't need this. It was so beautiful. Like, I would, I'm not ashamed to say I was rolling tears towards the end of that when, when that episode comes to its culminating point. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And... The fact that they were able to introduce these characters to you within the context, and it was a long episode, it was like an hour and 10 minutes or something, but introduce you to these characters, build them up, tell you their love story, and then wrap their whole story up in a single episode and still hit me as hard as any death I've seen on any TV program over the last number of years was amazing. And then I thought, okay, well, that's, you know, maybe that's a bit of a one-off. Now we're going to get sort of, you know, Ellie and Joel on their sort of adventures and, you know, stories of the week. And then episode five this week killed me the same way. This beautiful backstory they told about these two brothers and the decisions that the older brothers made to support his little brother and the, just the, the conflict and, and then how that story comes to a head again, just beautiful storytelling and so affecting like it really is top-notch television you know i think that was what i sort of mentioned in, in in our last episode of last season was you know hbo makes great programs they they just do they just yeah. value they they let these creators cook they let them kind of have these great wide runways they don't cap them on the episode length so they can go a little longer and take you that little bit further 
they hire these amazing performers and just let them roll. Like, this is a testament to that kind of business model, you know? Like, you let real auteurs and artists tell their stories and you get this kind of result. And, you know, you're right. This had every making, and Jaime, you were absolutely right to be nervous about a video game adaptation because they are terrible. They've turned it into something that is absolutely memorable. It's, it's, it's incredible. So we're looking forward to the rest of it. How many, is it 10 episodes? Nine, strangely. Nine, nine episodes oh, no. to wrap the mm. whole thing. So uh, yeah, this weekend will be six. So yeah, it's, it's sort of timing out well. It'll be wrapping up uh, right around the same time Mando starts back up. It's supposed to end at the end of the game? or Yes. Do we know? So apparently what okay. they had initially said was we wanted to do two seasons. First season is the first game. Second season is the second game. And that is what we intend to have as sort of a, a this is all we want to say. There has been some discussion, given that it is a smash hit, that they might stretch it out and do a third season so they can, you know, go a little deeper on uh, the, the second half of the story. But uh, they haven't actually officially announced anything. Cool. Yeah, so here we are. We, we've time for the annual Spocky Awards um, 2023 edition, I guess, or 2022 edition. I don't know. How do we do work that? I don't know. How I guess it's the 2023 awards for the shows and movies of 2022. 22. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So, yeah. And, and so we, we put out a Google thing and we had a few, we had quite a number of responses. I had started recording the, the results so we could just rip, them, rip through them here on the show without having to share my screen. Um, and I, uh, I posted again this morning that the, the Spockies were available for people to vote on. I don't know if I might've enticed another person to put vote in because the numbers did change slightly, but still, they're still very much, uh, what they are. So we can go through them. Um, well, best, best movie for us was, was, uh, uh, I think probably all three of us voted for everything everywhere all at once. And 59.3% of the people who voted also agreed with us. It was a far and away the best movie of 2022. Yep. For best TV show, Andor topped with 34.5%. And uh, Strange New Worlds and Stranger Things tied for second place. But again... You know, at 30, 34%, it was still a clear, clear winner there. Um, Did anybody vote for the Orville New Horizons? I'm just curious. Um, let's let me just get that page. <laughs> uh, I did not. I ended up, uh, I think, going largely in line with what people had. Let me take a look. TV show and or, yeah. I yeah, I mean, so far I'm two for two. I mean, I, I do think uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once was the best film I saw last year. And Andor was the best television program I saw last year. So those two, I'm two for two on those two. Yeah, I mean, I could, you know, basically it was uh, Moon or or the Orville New Horizons actually came in as uh, with six point nine percent. So it is actually in fourth place. Come on, that's got to be oh, a I gag know, people, vote. People have no taste, and, and it even it even beat Star Trek. What? Come yeah, on. So, so here here's the order. It was oh, sorry, this is the order that we put them in the thing. No, yeah, definitely the Orville uh, Moon Knight got six point nine percent as well. So Moon Knight and Orville tied. You asked. Oh, my God, people. House of the Dragon. Oh, sorry. It's a three-way tie. House of the Dragon, Moon Knight, oh, and God. the Orville. Dorval, uh, as I like to call it. I, I didn't even... I think I'm, I think I watched two episodes so far. My brain. Still, my precious brain. 
Oh, was it that bad? Okay, I'm glad I'm like, glad I didn't watch it. I, I also uh, only watched so two. Best... I started watching the third one. I was like, I can't. I can't anymore. Let, I give let me, up. Let me, <laughs> let me cleanse your palate with the best Star Trek. Okay. How about that? All right, okay? do that. Strange, strange New Worlds, clear winner at 52%. Yes, also my like pick that, for that one. That could, we could sep- they could separate from Canada with that boat, right? <laughs> well, no, because we want them up here. They're cause they're creating jobs up here. Strange new worlds. Oh, true, that's true. Yeah, unlike true. Quebec, Picard, they're creating jobs here. Picard came in at at twenty two percent in second place, and Lower Deck came in at sixteen percent, which I think we're all pretty pretty happy with. That's that, that result, right? Yeah, I mean, I I probably felt like Lower Deck season was probably stronger than Picard season two, but I'm not going to quibble. Yeah, what's well, it's an animated thing. People probably don't watch animated yeah, things. Yeah, right? and it, it it does kind of take the uh, take the piss out of Star Trek a little, which some people don't like. Sorry, I have this little furry animal bothering me right now, so I'm trying try to ignore him. Um, best actor movies. Yeah. Uh, Kei Kei Kwan. He won at fifty percent. Yep. Which which surprises me. I didn't vote for him, but it surprises me. I did. Okay. Christian Bale at 25%, and that was for the character he played in... Thor, Love and Thunder. Thor, Love and Thunder. And Robert Pattinson as the new Batman, 12.5%. So... Yeah. What did you... Do you guys remember what you had for your uh, picks there? I I can read you the... the... I have to... I have to go and look at the choices. Yeah, it's Christian Bale, Tena Cuerta for um, uh, Black Panther, Robert Pattinson, Kehikwan. There was only four four people in there, so this was a resounding loss for Tena Cuerta. I'm not sure. I th- I think I went with Kei Kwan, but I'm not. I I might have gone Robert Pattinson. I don't remember who I should put up here. <laughs> so I voted for best. Was this best actor? Best actor movies. Yeah. Oh, I put it for Christian Bale. Well, there you who, go. Who knew? I mean, probably probably because I like that like him as an actor. But anyway, hmm. and it was probably based on the based on um, the movies that were, or the, the actors were in in the pool. Right. Uh, best actress, clear winner. For movies, best actress movies, Angela Bassett at fifty eight point two percent. Again, she could separate from Canada with that. <laughs> uh, best TV actress. Oh, we, we, we skipped uh, over best actor TV. We got oh, did we? Oh, sorry. TV. Yeah, Aust- yeah. Best actor TV. Oster Isaac at twenty four percent. Anson Mount twenty percent. That's pretty That's close. A strong to finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't think I. I think I voted for Patty Considine on in uh, House of the Dragon. I thought he was. He was my favorite performance last year. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. And Diego Luna, it was a tough, that was a, was tough a good category. category yeah. Diego Luna at 16%. So yeah. Oscar Isaac, I guess, because he played two characters, right? Well, three. So long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very, so long. yeah, three. Very did, different kind of play. role. Yeah, that's true. I think that's what yeah. I voted for. I think I voted yeah. for Oscar Isaac. Yeah, it was a good performance. Yeah. A bit like Tatiana Malfani and Orphan Black. Well, that was a hell of a performance. Yeah. Well, I still think of that as five or six different actresses, but. Yeah. So, best actress, uh, pretty close. Christina Chong, eighteen point five percent, and probably just on that one one episode, eh? I mean, I I I made sure to include her in this category because I really felt like she was a breakout for me last year. I, I really enjoyed her performance. I strongly don't think like I she wouldn't have been in my top four or five. Mm-hmm. I I think. I picked Genevieve O'Reilly in Andor because I think her performance as Mon Mothma was transcendent. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, uh, and I if I had play. to work my way down from there, I would say you know uh, um, Olivia Cook and Emma Darcy both in House of the Dragon were incredible. Sadie Sink was again a really really strong contender in Stranger Things, uh, but that this was the most stacked category across the board. Like all these performances were amazing. 
but looking at the numbers, right? So Christina, Christina Chong probably got, I would say probably got maybe two more votes or three more votes than other people. Yeah. Oh, sorry. She got five votes. Um, Sadie Sink and Tatiana Maslany got four votes. So it, that's a, that's a horse race, right? Well, but if you look at that category, it's absolutely stacked. Like they're, Oh, Jenna Ortega also got four votes. You could right? vote so for anybody there and be right. Like, there was so many strong performances by women in, in television yeah. last year. My point is a three-way tie for third place or second place. So, I mean, four the four actors are like nose and neck and neck, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Denise Go for Endor. Yeah, she played... Uh, no, oh, you liked Mon Motha. I liked... Um, oh, she was great too. Yeah, yeah. What's her, what's her role? Um, oh. Deirdre. Deirdre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I really liked her character. Yeah, yeah. no, she was great too. Mackenzie Davis got two votes. Emma Darcy got two votes, and Genevieve O'Reilly got two votes. So somebody else agreed with you, John. There you go. Yeah. Oh. And the last vote went to Chloe Grace Moretz in Forever. Was that you? No, I voted for. Um, oh no, I um, Denise Go. Okay. Or Goo Goo Gooch. It could be Gooch because I had a friend named who spelled his name that way. And well, she's British, so who knows? I don't. Well, yeah, my, my friend's last name was spelled that way, and he said Gooch. Most anticipated movie of 2023, we have, I'm going back to the list version, uh, Dune Part 2 at 33%. And then tied for the second place is Spider-Man. Into the Spider-Verse, uh, yeah. Or, or, Spider-Verse and, and yeah. Guardians 3. Across the Spider-Verse, that's the second one. What, uh, yeah, I, 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 it was a weird one. Cause again, Spider-Man was supposed to come out last year. I voted for it for last year's Bucky's. I voted for this year's Bucky's again. Cause I still think it's going to be an absolute, uh, banger. But, uh, do you guys remember what you were in most into for this year's, uh, most anticipated movie? Well, so I probably voted for Dr. Who, but so Dr. So Picard got five votes again. Let's no, 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, TV show. No, uh, movie. No, yeah, so Dune, Dune was way ahead, yeah, and then Spider-Verse was... Well, so Dune, nine votes, uh, Spider-Man, five votes, and Guardians, three votes. So, I mean, like, it's it's clearly Dune, and then and Spider-Verse is, is the next one. Yeah. I mean, what were, you, sure. uh, what were you most looking forward to? I think it was uh, Into the Spider-Verse, I think, was mine. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah, again, good stuff, but, you know. Google, Google pie charts are weird, but Google, Guardians of the Galaxy and... Indiana Jones are tied for oh third place. Oh my god! Really? <laughs> yeah, people love their indie, man. I love my indie too. I just, as far as I'm concerned, the last movie came out in 1989, and I'm done. Yeah, exactly. But it's funny. A friend, I just interviewed a friend of mine on on more than just code, and when I asked him about his favorite movie, he said that it was uh, Indiana Jones as a franchise, mm. and he said the odd ones are the better ones. What? I know. So that's like... Has he suffered a blow to the head? <laughs> like, it, clearly Raiders and Last Crusade are the strongest, followed by Temple of that, Doom. Well, that's one. At which that's point one, they end. Three. Okay. <laughs> so you're saying five is not going to... Five's not going to... I mean, gonna who knows? Like, I'm, I'm really conflicted about this. <laughs> I think James Mangold, who's the director of this, who did uh, the Logan movie, is a terrific director. I think there's reasons for optimism. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. There's reasons for optimism. I still don't know that I can convince myself to. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know what would ever get me to go and see this after the just the travesty was that fourth movie. That was just so terrible. Okay. Well, let me let me let me let's let's just try and get you on another panel. Okay. Panel. All right. All right. Plane of thought here. So, most anticipated TV show of 2023. Yes. Is clearly Picard. Love it. Love it. And then tied tied for second place, Loki and The Last of Us. Nice. I did. And then the uh, three-way tie. 
I, I did vote for Loki in this case because I could vote for Picard in a different category. Uh, I see. Okay. Yeah, and then the three-way tie, three-way tie for uh, Doctor Who season 14, I'm calling it. Mm-hmm. Only because it's got David Tennant in it. But Mandalorian and uh, Ahsoka. So Ahsoka, yeah. Mandalorian, and Doctor Who in a three-way tie for... Because we have some Brits on the... Besides me, we have some other Brits here as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I wanted, like, Picard was probably the thing I was looking forward to most, but I think that was just because it was coming so soon and we kind of had some teasers and stuff. But uh, when I stepped back from it, when I, when I stepped back from it, I really felt like Loki was such a great first season and I kind of want to see where they can take that. So that was the one that I, I kind of honed in on. But it was only because I could cast a ballot in the most anticipated Star Trek series of 2023. Well, so so that mirrors the the best TV shows of last year. I think it no, so it doesn't. No, the most no, anticipated split. one is is Picard yeah. at fifty four percent. Strange New Worlds at twenty nine percent, and that's probably because we're going to see more seasons of that. We think, yeah. and then uh, Lower Decks is is the uh, third most anticipated, and then only one other vote for Discovery season five. Yeah, not a lot of love for Discovery or for uh, Prodigy through this whole theme. It seems like those are kind of our weaklings, which is, you know, I, I, I kind of agree. The last couple seasons of Discovery have been sort of hit and miss a little bit, but uh, but it's really like it's taking a bit of a pounding out there. Yeah. Yeah. And then and the last sort of, so th- that's the end of our Spockies for, for actual talented people. Now, now it's just best streaming services and movies and things. So best streaming service far and away is Disney at 37.9%. In second place is Netflix at 20%. And then Apple TV at 17%. I think we should reconduct and, the poll now that we know what uh, Netflix is up to here in Canada. Yeah, perhaps. Well, and but but then we've got HBO uh, Crave and HBO Crave is edging out Prime Video. Mm. Or the question was, have you seen a movie this year? Have you seen one online? Eighty-six percent of us have seen uh, an online movie. Sixty-two percent of us, Jaime, sixty-two have seen it in a theater. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, uh, I, I he, saw movie. He, saw, he saw a movie. Come on, I, I saw Avatar. He saw a movie. Yeah. Oh. The question okay, says, like have you seen a movie, not a minimum of three movies or anything like that? <laughs> Which movie did you see? Avatar, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, thanks for risking your life for that. He's our try. But, um, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> wow. But, uh, Drive-by on, on Avatar. Di- on disc, uh, uh, 38% and borrowed. Ooh, borrowed, Jaime, or Jonathan, uh, 38%. And then streaming services, and ninety-three percent of us have. This is not a contest. This is just who's got whatever. Ninety-three percent of us have Prime. Eighty-nine percent of us have Netflix. That might number may go down in the next week or so. Uh, Disney Plus. Eighty-two percent of us have it, and Apple TV. Seventy-nine percent of us have it. I forget what the other choices were. They were, yeah, Cable, Crave, um, Paramount Plus, Peacock. Some people have Discovery Plus. Surprisingly. And, ES- and ESPN Plus, right? Yeah, they aren't, they aren't available here, so. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why we, we put Hulu and, uh, so Hulu and Crave are the, no, which one? HBO Max and Crave are the same here, right? Uh, yes, HBO content comes through Crave here in Canada. So if we added HBO, which is 11 out of uh, 26, that would give us 23, 24 votes. It would tie with Disney Plus. Yeah, if we added HBO and Crave together, which into the thing. pretty much checks out, right? Like, yeah, yeah. So that would put it in um, 
tied for third place, right? If you put, if you put two, two together. Well, let's move on to our watch list. I have a. I'm going to go through these real quick. So I got a bunch of them. Um, so uh, Smart List is a podcast I've talked about before with Jason Bateman. Now, every time I start taking these guys' names, I forget their names. Um, Will Arnett. Will Arnett, thank you, and 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 the guy from Will and Grace, um, Jack. Uh, oh, Eric McCormick. No, the the comedian. Oh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, God. Sean Hayes. Sean Hayes. Sean yes. Hayes. Sean Hayes. I should know that one. I've interviewed him before. Will Arnett. Uh, have you? Yeah. Oh, cool. Anyway, so they have they have interesting guests on, and the most interesting guests that they have had on, and they were just gushing, uh, was they had Steven Spielberg on oh, talking about nice. his career and about the, the Fablemans and all. I mean, they were just like, yeah, it was, I think that was a super duper get for those guys. And a really interesting interview. So, and longer than normal, and they didn't interrupt it with 27 commercials, which they tend to do. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I get it. These guys are doing this through the pandemic and they're used to big salaries, but, you know, the, the, the commercials are a bit annoying for me, I find. Anywho, um, so that's the first one. Second one, Design Canada, is a documentary that was done a few years ago. It's really interesting because it's all the design of stuff that, you know, the aesthetic that I grew up with, you know, like the Ontario logo and the, you know, street signs and all that kind of stuff, Expo. Uh, Team Canada, they talk about all this stuff, but right in the middle of it, too, they also show the place where Carol and I met, Canadiana Textiles, where we used to print the Canadian flag, because mm. obviously the design of the Canadian flag is part of Can- Can- Design Canada, right? So it's a it's a, a, a account I've been following on, um, on Instagram, because it's got a, a very interesting thing, but I, I didn't know that they actually had a fine documentary, and this is like, for me, it was like Instabuy. I watched it on one of the streaming services but i just uh yeah i just have to own this one because it's it's right up my alley in terms of canadian art um the rainbow connection is a really cool mashup between it's called the rainbow connection a benoit blanc mystery and it's a mashup between a bunch of uh, muppet movies and benoit blanc you know the first two green onion movies or not cross onion and the other the previous one knives out and it's a really cool mashup because it, it's just it's like what if benoit bank was was crossed over with the Muppets in terms of a mystery or whatever. So it's, it's pretty funny the way they've, they've sort of merged the two uh, movies together. That's kind of cool. Hmm. Uh, real quick one too, uh, as you know, I'm a huge uh, 2001 fan. Somebody's put together a mix of 2001 Space Odyssey as if it was done in the style of Star Wars, including the crawler at the very beginning and, and the John Williams soundtrack and taking the scenes from 2001 and putting it together into a very Star Wars type story. So it's really cool. It's like, I don't think it's a couple of, it's almost, eh, it's a few minutes long. It's not very super, super long, but definitely check that one out. It's uh, really, really well done. Uh, the latest TV show I've seen recently is called Extraordinary. I don't know what the genesis of this one is. The actress, I've forgotten her name now, and I'll have it in the, in the fact check. Oh, and good luck pronouncing say. it if you do. I, I was going to add this to the watch list, and oh, it's like you already it's, had. It's Sorsha. So. It's the same as Sorsha Ronan. It's Sorsha. Yes. No, it, it's not Sorsha. Sorsha. Sorsha, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what is it's Gaelic. She has a beautiful Gaelic name. Oh, oh no. Yeah, no, you, you're right. She sounds like Sorsha Ronan. She's got the same sort of uh, uh, pronunciation. Yes, it's it's Meldred Tires, I think. How I would... Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's probably completely missing that one up right yeah yeah but she's, she's got from, the same uh, sort of yeah yeah same accent or similar accent and she's hilarious but this is fleabag 
yeah. meets supers because everybody in this in this world has extraordinary powers meets red dwarf yeah i thought it was excellent yeah it's great i mean you get the you get the red dwarf reference oh yeah but yeah it's 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 hilarious. It's like right right up our alley in terms of you know yeah. superpowers and and all that. It's it's um it's almost like the boys in terms of like they're all oddball characters. Yeah. people who have powers. But it's it, but it's yeah. a comedy. It's a straight comedy. Like I mean, yeah, there's yeah. it's there's some like a little bit of melodrama, but it really is played for comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. It's so funny. I, I I had sat down to watch that. Uh, my wife and I just watched it last week. Watched the whole thing in a few days and. Uh, this is the one I binged in like two days. Like it was just, I had just had to stop and go to sleep. Like it was, it's so good. And it's short. Yeah, it's it's 20 eight m- episodes, 25 minutes a piece. You can be through the whole thing in a day if you put your mind to it or a few days if you're, uh, if you want to pace yourself. But uh, they've already, uh, for, for, for those who care, they've already announced the season two is coming. So that's great. Nice. But uh, yeah, it's, it's gross in the best possible way. Like some of the abilities that they give the characters, you know, it's this person can fly and this person's super strong, but it's also like one of the lead characters can speak to the dead and can speak to anybody who's dead. And uh, yeah. one person can transform back and forth into a cat and, and gets into weird adventures doing that. But then they get into the really weird stuff too, like the the, the one guy who can give people orgasms, male or female or otherwise, uh, just by touching them, which is, I mean, yeah, it's so funny. It's so funny. Just what they name the cat is hilarious alone. But isn't there one where they, yeah, there's, isn't there one where they, um, uh, for, for fun, they bring back Hitler and then they, they, and they make fun of him and tell him all the things that are in modern society. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good. Can't, can't recommend that one enough. Yeah. So the next one is a deep dive. It's another podcast that I, that I watch called uh, strong songs. I think, um, should, should have had that prepared. It's, it's, I just, I don't know how I stumbled across this, but I like, um, yeah, strong songs. I like it. I like um, shows about how songs are put together, how music's put together. This one's more about this way songs are structured, right? And what's interesting about it is, is he's actually on break right now. He's on hiatus, and he came back to do an episode about the music of Andor because he's blown away by the music of Andor. Hmm. And what's interesting about it is there's a four note harmony or four chord harmony that runs throughout the the theme of Andor's theme. But in every single episode and every single uh, styling of this particular theme song is different hmm. based on what's happening in the story. Like sometimes like when they're on uh, Ferric, there's like it's like them banging on, you know, pieces of metal and that kind of stuff. And he examines how the music is sort of put together and how it sets the mood for each one of the little, you know, the little three story arcs that, that each episode has. and. That's amazing, and, and even like he even like talks about the very last uh, scene where where um, what's her name is it Maeve? What's the name of the his mother's name? Where they have the funeral? Oh yeah, yeah. And, it's all, and all the iron workers get together, and they they have this sort of marching band that they put together. But they're iron workers, not musicians. Like, and they haven't practiced and whatever. And the way that it's composed to sound like this is the first time I've ever seen a, a show where they intentionally play as if they're amateurs mm. in this and but they play the and or theme in in part of the music mix right there's a really interesting examination of how the music makes the show that much better mm. and then how the um the, the composer actually uses the music as part of the story right so yeah definitely check that out cool 
Yeah, it's a, it's a good long. And, it, and he examines, look, he goes through the entire show and sort of shows how, again, this four-note chord progression. He even, does, he even plays some of it and plays around with it himself. Like, there's one point where in the, in, the, in the episode, he overlays a bunch of different versions of it, and it still sounds, like, amazing. Hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, this, this trailer, I just saw this trailer today. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet, but Tetris is coming out. It's the story of the making of the game Tetris and, or, sorry, the marketing of the game Tetris and the first Game Boy and Taron Egerton plays this American uh, business person who discovered it and went to Russia and negotiated with the Soviet Union to release it, get the rights and release it. So, yeah. I, That's a, they did a, special... a great graphic novel on that a number of years back. I wonder if it's an adaptation of that story. Yeah, it's probably based on it. Yeah, I think I've seen that one it's, too. Yeah, yeah I, I have a copy of it. It's actually, it's a really interesting story. So, yeah, be, mm-hmm. I think that'd be a, a really good doc or a, a docu-series or whatever. Well, even, even the trailer is funny. Like, if you watch the trailer, it's got the... He explains what Tetris means and, and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> too. Plus, the, the, the theme song from the, from the game is part of the soundtrack. Yeah. So that's me for, oh, and then I forgot to mention that Just Watch is now an app for iOS and Android. So if you're curious about where all these shows and movies are appearing, you can download the Just Watch app now. You don't have to go to the, you don't necessarily have to go to the website. Do you also have stock in the Just Watch uh, company? No, or? I don't. No, it's Jaime <laughs> discovered Just Watch. Was it me? Oh, was it Jaime? Sorry, I didn't, don't, I don't mean to take credit away from you, buddy. I don't think I did. I think it was Tim that... Uh, brought it into our lives just watch no i didn't i didn't i wasn't i didn't bring it to the the group i think i thought you brought it really yeah I we have to we have to go back and fact check that i'm pretty sure it was you that brought it brought it the uh the service to us to be able to figure out where we can watch things hmm. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll well, let's go back and listen to the previous 149 episodes and no, no, 400 episodes of uh, more than the, just code. If you go to the website and you look up the tags you can so you can search by tag because <laughs> i tag all the episodes as well as um yeah because I, I make notes as we go through so people can find stuff well, i can find stuff later to be honest with you but i'm going to hand over the reins to jaime to tell us about his pick for the week yeah so despite tetris sounding like it was absolutely going to be another video game adaptation <laughs> when i saw that in the list <laughs> um we've got uh the hbo mario kart trailer that was on saturday night live that oh was that was so funny nice skit using uh, the mario characters and in, in their and their sort of gritty reality of The Last of Us style of show with Pedro Pascal being the, the guest host on the, on the show. So it's, it's fun. We've got the link on there. It's uh, something that works surprisingly well as, a, as an adaptation. So um, I, I enjoy yeah, it. it was, folks might have seen it, but uh, you can see it again. Yeah, it was, it was super funny. The, they, they did two sort of spoof things in that. Did you see the, the other one, which was the, uh, the wing ad that they did in that episode? It was like a Super Bowl wing ad starring Pedro Pascal, and he was like mm-hmm. sitting around with their friends. They're like, you know, advertising this wing joint, and it's like, hey, you can get, you know, a tray of, you know, 25 wings for just twelve ninety nine, Or if you want to go for the big feast, you can get this. And they just keep going further and further until eventually they're literally like airdropping uh, ranch dressing on your house and stuff. It's so funny. I, I highly recommend looking that one up, too. The... I find SNL can be a little hit and miss, but though both of those were like instant classic, hilarious uh, bits with Pedro. Cool. Um, yeah, I just have one thing that's sort of add on. As I say, uh, extraordinary was definitely my uh, my my uh, enjoyed most enjoyed thing over the last month. But the other one that I watched, which was, I just I, you know I I like Joey King. Uh, I've seen her in a few different things, and I think she's funny. 
And so I, I saw that they had this Hulu movie on Disney Plus here in Canada uh, called The Princess. And it's basically, she's sort of the damsel in distress. She's this princess in medieval times. She gets kidnapped and the evil prince has kidnapped her and locked her in the tower and stuff like that. But it's, she's basically like, you know, the not so damsel in distress where she just starts like beating ass on all the people in the, in the castle. And she's literally like throwing people out the window. And it's, it's, it's almost like a kill Bill meets the fairy tale. Um, it, it, you know, it's, it's not super high art but if you're looking for something that's just like mindless uh savage beatings it's very very satisfying in that way like the the choreography and the fight stuff is actually really good and uh and you know it kind of turns the the tropes of the damsel in distress on its ear in a in a in a fun way um so if you're if you're yeah if you're looking for something not necessarily high art and it's it's certainly not the strongest plot in the whole world but it definitely uh it punches and kicks pretty good well, I guess that's it for another week. So, hey, Jonathan, people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube as youtube.com slash hashtag JPK, I believe is what it says. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, where will they find you? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with the Hair. All right, my name is Tim Mitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, and that's how you'll find me on the Twitter machine and on Mastodon and on YouTube and all the other places. So, yeah, till next time, we'll see you in the future or on another timeline. <laughs> Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotcast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. Did they have her name spoken? Did you hear her say Mareg or? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. I I played it. I when when we started watching it, I was like, I don't know how to say that. And we went to a uh, like a Gallic, you know, pronunciation thing that basically spelled it out, and it still was not clear. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I saw that she was you know fairly new. She was you know like a stage performer in Cork and. Yeah, this was sort of like her first sort of breakout thing. And... Well, she was in Belfast, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Borderland, apparently, but too. But she, uh, yeah, she hasn't really had uh, very much sort of mainstream Tons. stuff. And then, yeah, she's the lead of the show. And she's uh, mm -hmm. she's hilarious. She's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. All of them are. that. The whole cast of all four of them are really funny. Yeah, she's been in three things. She's been in Belfast, Tell Me Everything, and Extraordinary. But she also... Wait, why did it say... Borderland.
played a character in Borderlands. Yeah, she played Carol in Borderlands with Felicity Jones. Hmm. Hmm. Unless that hasn't come out yet. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, there's no year on it, so maybe it hasn't come out yet. Because Mark Strong's in that one, too. He's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Mark Strong's a great actor. Mm-hmm. Well, since we were doing, since we've had a lot of um, content, I didn't want to bring this up in the show, but I have been playing Red Dead Redemption, Red Dead Redemption 2 mm. practically every day for the last two or three weeks. It's like <laughs> I don't do anything else, right? <laughs> and what's interesting about it is is when I started playing the game, like at first, you, like you die constantly. Oh, I right? know. I, I played it for the first like four or five hours. <laughs> So anyway, so I, I finally figured it out. So I played it, right? And then I, I watched a few YouTube videos to figure out how to how to survive some of the trials and tribulations, right? I've now got to the point where I can actually win a gun battle with a bunch of people, right? Mm. Um, I figured out, like, I just, I, every time I, every time, you know, I end up, you know, dispatching somebody and the horse is there, I take over the horse and make it my own. Like, a, like, a, so I run around with two horses a lot. You have one saddle where all your stuff lives, and you can move it from one horse to another. But I've discovered, well, you know, horses have value, and they're like dogs. They just keep following you around, right? So that's cool. And then there's all these little missions. And what it, it what so at first I just ran around like like you do you do the first chapter, and then that's like a very sort of that's a tutorial chapter, right? And then you have this whole world to sort of explore. And so um, I was trying to figure this out, and then on some of the YouTube videos, they showed another sort of county that I hadn't been to yet. So about two weeks into playing the game, I decided, okay, well, let me go to the edge of the earth and see what happens. And let me, like, I think, like, there's a sort of cloudy area where it's not focused. I thought, well, if I, what if I go over there and, and try and get to there? So it turns out there's one borderline that you, in the, the south, let's call it the southwest corner of the game, that... Because I haven't done the story yet, right? As soon as I cross that border, these mysterious gunmen start gunning me down. Hmm. And they just, it just kills me. So there are parts of the game where you can't, like, you can't walk off the edge of the earth because just, you just die, right? So I tried it a few times. I even took two of my horses over there. So one of my horses is stuck over there now. <laughs> and I have to go back and get him at some point in the future, right? But, but I, you know, I'm risking my life to go get him. But the... But now I've discovered, I finally figured out how to play the, the episodes, like chapters, right? So, because, you know, the characters get highlighted on the map and you kind of go over to them and then they start, they start you know, there's a cut scene and whatever. So the first while I just kept dying and the second while I just, you know, ended up with this world that I just kind of ran around and just, you know, wreaked havoc and stole horses and shot chickens and whatever and skinned, you know, deer and things like that. And learned about sort of the resource management thing. And now I'm into the, now I can't seem to get out of the game part because I, now I know how to go from one chapter to the next and do all these different missions, right? So it's similar to um, to that other game, uh, the um, Metal Gear, the, the last one I played, right? Yeah. The Ghost one and what, Ghost Recon or whatever it's called. But um, it, it's, the, the way to describe it, it's funny because it, it, it is kind of cheesy in terms of like the, the animation, but it's like playing a character in a movie right is a close and and you know last of us was like that too and so was um some of the uncharted ones right and laura croft of course you know i've done tomb raider and all that kind of stuff like once you figure out the sort of the sort of the method for surviving and getting through these episodes um they get quite deep in terms of in terms of story right so some of the cutscenes i could do with that i've also figured out how to cut through, skip through those right but yeah and some of the missions are a bit, or some of the major battle, boss battles are 
kind of annoying, but yeah. Hide behind trees and rocks. That's the secret. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, got to see that one firsthand. So when I when I got the game, I sat down and I played, yeah, like f- five, six hours and, and, you know, made it to a certain point, but just couldn't commit to it. And so it sort of fell off. But it, 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 my son had sit down and, and sat down and watched what I was sort of into and was like, oh, this looks cool. And he just got sucked in like a vortex. He must have spent like 200 hours on that game. Oh, yeah. Every yeah, single, yeah. you know, customized every gun. Uh, That's his thing, right? Yeah, all yeah, the yeah. horses, you know, like it just just went to the nines and, you know, and had a blast. Like he loved it. He was having a great time doing it. And he was just like, I can't believe you are playing this. I can't believe you are playing this. I'm like, I don't have 200 hours. <laughs> like they're they don't exist anymore. Yeah, it it is all consuming. All consuming. Like you, like you know, I could be working. I have a couple of apps I'm working on right now. I just haven't touched them in like weeks, right? <laughs> I would say I, I I would I and I started playing it like I started playing it like six months ago, and it was so much so, and I stopped. Mm-hmm. And then you know, because I I very I mean I I binge on my PlayStation, you know, and then I forget about it for a while, right? Um, like I I'll forget it for like a year and a half. In fact, I in in order to get this game going. I went and bought another one terabyte SSD drive to put in it so I could have the game, download the game, and also I have The Last of Us on the game, and right, because I keep, I keep, like, you know, one of, the, one of the things I've learned about media years and years ago is if you have a hard drive, you will fill it, right? Um, so, yeah, so, and, and of course, getting an SSD in an old PlayStation 4 is, like, definitely a must-do upgrade because it makes it so much easier to play the games, right? For sure. Yeah, but yeah, like, but before I could play it, before I could play Last of Us, I had to download this, you know, I think it's like a 300 megabyte game. It's not, it's not small, but, it, you know, it, it takes up space. I had to upgrade my PlayStation before I could download the game and play it, right? And then, of course, in the, the Red Dead Redemption, I also had a huge um, software update as well, because I hadn't played it in a while, right? Yeah. So, but, yeah, it's it's an all-consuming game, like, once you get into it. And, and, you know, I'm sort of going through it to get to the point where I can just run around like like you see people on YouTube do, right? How long did it take you to finish uh, Last of Us 1? It wasn't that long. It was probably like maybe a week and a half. So like yeah. 15, 20 hours? Yeah, I could probably go back and through it. So, and so because I got the, the upgraded version, I played the first game, and then I played the little Ellie story as well. The Ellie story kind of goes pretty quick, right? Yeah, so, yeah. And again, that's another one of those things. Once you figure out how to battle the, the, the infected, it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I think that was the part that, uh, because they, they quickly introduce you to, like, it's not like there's one kind of infected, right? Like, there's the different kinds as you go. So there's the there's the runners, and then there's the clickers, and then there's the, what do they call the bloaters, and yeah, so you kind of have to f- figure out, like, oh, okay, these ones, you have to do this, these ones, you have to do this, what do you do if they're both in the room at the same time, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. That was always Fire, the one that vexed the... me, where I'm like, okay, so if I kill this one then that one's going to come after me yeah the molotov talk cocktails are, oh, are pretty effective just the against best them, yeah. the best thing ever in that game like buy me more bottles please the difference is though with with the last of us you you have to go from a to b you can't you can't sort of wander around whereas in um in this game oh, it's sandbox, like I've a huge sandbox yeah, and so like you'll you'll be on a mission and it'll, it'll, you know you'll be with your, your Dutch is the main character you're following around, right? So he's sort of the mission leader. Um, he'll say, okay, we're gonna go over here and do this, and we'll fight these guys off, and then we'll go over to this next station and we'll we'll break through this door. 
Meanwhile, I'm thinking, well, I just knocked all these, I killed all these guys. They've got cool guns. They've got, some of them have like potions in their pocket and coins and whatever. I just go around looting them. Right? <laughs> and then, and then Dutch is like, come on, Arthur, what are you doing? Come on, Arthur. You know? But I, I discovered a glitch yesterday too in, in a couple of the battles on one of the islands that I went to. Um, you get surrounded by these these Spanish shooters, and and they're shooting at you, and they're like in cornfields, and you can't see them, mm. right? And there's a glitch because I killed everybody, and I'm standing there, and they're all going, "What are you doing, Arthur? What are you doing?" There's nobody to shoot. No, oh, yeah, nobody's shooting at me. Nobody, sh- and you know, and, and sort of it must be a glitch in the game because I had to go into the cornfield and find the one guy that was glitching and shoot him, and then then the scene, the cutscene came in, right? Hmm. Like there are parts, like there was another one where there's a, a a ship coming towards the island and shooting, you know, like a big, like, you know, a, like cannon shooting cannons at you, right? But I couldn't get to the part where we go get the gun to fire against the ship because I had to kill the one guy on B. And so I just run, I start running around off track to try and psych the game into releasing this character so, so I can deal with it, right? You know, because... Yeah, it's just, it's weird, but it's bad programming, Jaime. I don't know how they get away with this. <laughs> these uh, only files a bug report. These massive AAA games, you know, there's like these wild physics simulations and AI simulations and other things that just yeah, yeah. can't possibly test at all. So it's always like patch after patch after patch. And you'll you'll see, you know, funny stuff out there on the interwebs. You go on YouTube and be like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening kind of stuff. Yeah, there has this one fast travel thing where once you figure out the secret to fast travel, because you have to ride your horse from one place to the next, right? But once you figure out how to do fast travel, you can you can basically you make a camp and you set you say say where you want to go, and you, as long as you have visited that village before, you can go there, right? You can either pay a coachman to take you in a in a stagecoach, or you can you know you can just transport yourself. But what happens when you do that? It, there's a cutscene that comes in. It sort of shows you know with the cinematic music and the and it shows you, you know, riding across the the terrain, but but like it takes like a minute and a half instead of like fifteen minutes of horse riding, right? But occasionally, when the new scene renders, it kind of renders in layers, like like asynchronously. So you get like you know like people just appear, <laughs> or like textures that like the horse is standing on top of nothing because the texture hasn't been drawn underneath the horse yet, right? It's all those kind of glitchy things. Like yesterday was a boat where the somebody was picking me up in a boat in one of the cutscenes, and the bottom of the boat wasn't properly rendered. So like it was like the boat was full of water. <laughs> I guess they t- forgot to turn the mask on that layer or whatever, right? So mm. yeah, it's weird. I, I I find the realism in that game to be kind of eerie at times, though. Like uh, Xavier was showing me, like if you shoot someone and you leave them in the woods and you come back later, they're like, they yeah, start to rotted. They start yeah. to rot, but and eventually you go back and there's like a skeleton there. I'm like, that is, that's a level of realism. I'm not, I'm not sure I need in games. Well, I haven't seen that either. I haven't seen that myself, but I've seen that in, in some of the pictures I've seen online. The other thing too, is if you kill a, like a rabbit or whatever, and you hang it on your horse or you kill a deer and it, you've got it strapped across the back of your horse and you don't take it and, take it to a butcher and have him, you know, prepare it for you. People will start saying that your horse smells and you'll hear flies buzzing around oh. and <laughs> as the thing's decomposing, right? Yeah, it's weird. And th- But there's tons of things to collect. It's like your constant, like every room you go into, you start. Somebody said in the, after watching the uh, the first episode of The Last of Us, one of, the, one of the people I follow online says, Joel didn't check enough drawers in this episode. 
<laughs> yeah, you're <laughs> always looking for scissors and tape, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need me some scissors and some tape. That's what's going to solve this problem. And to make my ma- my bat my my baseball bat into a mayhem device, that's, exactly. That's right. Or uh, what is it? Shivs, right? Or in the first game, it's yeah. shivs. Yeah. 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 It's. Uh, I don't know. I, I can't. I, I'm kind of conflicted. Like I, the last game I played I, uh, in January when I had some time, I finished playing uh, Lego Marvel Avengers, which I had never finished. I was like half, halfway through, so I went in and played all the little mini missions and unlocked all the characters and had a good time. Um, but yeah, w- open games now, the games that just sort of have these like, you know, you can play for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours. I just, I don't know, maybe I'll get there again. Maybe when I don't have uh, three teenagers rattling around here and stuff and, and a busy job, it'll be easier. But yeah, just finding the time for that kind of thing is uh, is challenging. I kind of like a game like like Last of Us where it's like, you know, there's a beginning and a middle and an end. You can like stop at logical spots and like you drop it for a week and then pick it up again. Like that to me is just it's just more accessible at this point in my life. Yeah, I mean, like in, in as much as I'm playing a lot of these things, I can go through a, a, a chapter battle sort of thing in like 20 minutes now. Right. So, yeah, that helps. That helps. I mean, yeah, the, the fact that, you know, like like it was super frustrating at first. I'm like, like first week or, or first couple of days of playing the game. I'm like. What do you just die constantly in this game? Is that the idea? Like, like how do you how do you possibly live from one moment to the next? I learned I learned early. One of the one of the mistakes I was making early was when you get into a conflict, run away. <laughs> yeah, right? you know, like like if you if you kill somebody and somebody witnesses it, like you, there's ways to scare the witnesses or chase the witnesses. You know what? Just leave the area. <laughs> I, I made that same mistake when I did my first playthrough. I went into town and I meant to like, uh, I can't, I meant to do one thing and I accidentally shot somebody in the face. Yeah. Or run them over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is not going to go on. The whole town was after me. I was like, oh, that's not right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oops. And it was, it was literally like an old lady or something. I was just like, I meant to like say something to her and I accidentally pulled up my pistol and shot her in the face. I'm like, oh God. Well, if you, <laughs> the, the R2 is just shoot, right? Oh, so yeah, God. it's just, but I've so run bad. people over. I've knocked people over. I, like sometimes I forget to take my, you know, the bandana wherever your mask when you're, when you don't want to be identified. Mm. If you ride into a town with the bandana on, they will start attacking yeah, you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, or, you're already a bandit. You have, yeah. Or you have your gun out. And sometimes you, you know, sometimes you like a lot of times you just want to walk up to somebody and talk to them for a minute. Right. And they pull out a gun and start shooting at you. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like sometimes they're just they're the jerk. Right. So. The, the funniest part I found watching my son play through was uh, was the poker. He sat yeah, yeah. there for yeah. hours playing Texas Hold'em. And because he, he would, yeah, yeah. I would I would see him like having breakfast and he'd be like, so in a game of Texas Hold'em, I'm like, what are you doing at night? And he's like, yeah, no, I just, I started playing it in this game. It's really interesting. And he just, he's spent hours just sitting there at these little crappy card tables playing Texas Hold'em poker until he got good at it. I was like, oh, okay, please don't gamble. Like, it's just, yeah, like, uh, yeah, lots of good yeah, places. I, I can play. I'm, I'm pretty good at the Texas poker. I can, I can get through those, those, uh, those challenges pretty quickly. Cause yeah, I just, I just play fast enough to, to win and get out of there. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's one, there's one poker game where there's a guy sitting behind the person you're playing against and he, he you look at him and he, and he'll, he'll nod or he'll shake his head. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that works. And robbing banks is probably the most profitable, uh, profitable. And apparently there are safes on the, on the, 
trains. But actually, one time I was I was playing, and uh, and there's these beasts that you can go like there's a legendary wolf and a legendary bison or whatever, and they're pretty mean, but and they're hard to 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 get. But I wanted to go. I found out where the legendary wolf was early in the game. And then one day I was just sort of riding around and there was just like a train that had been robbed, right? Mm. Not by me, but there was a train just sitting there with, with no passengers, no money on it. And I thought, cool, I have a train. <laughs> <laughs> so I drove the train around for a couple of hours <laughs> and I went up and, you know, battled the legendary wolf. And yeah. And then and the thing about it is that like, if, like if you do something like that, if you find like a train or something like that and you take it to one place, if you die, the train's gone. <laughs> no, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, and I yesterday, I found, yesterday I ended up. Um, you end up getting shipwrecked at one point, and then you end up coming back to the to the to the world, and and your horse is gone when you first come back because I I got this really cool horse and I took him with me, and then it kind of it did a cut scene instead of me doing it, and then I went back and then my horse was gone. I'm like, well, what happened to my second horse? And I went back to get him, and he was he wasn't even a pile of bones. He was just gone, right? And when you whistle for your horse, it just said, your horse is lost. I'm like, what do you mean my horse is lost? I guess they didn't write the logic in that for the edge case where somebody like me would have want to have a second, second horse, right? I laughed uh, hysterically at the anatomically correct horses, too. That was the other one that Xavier was like, oh, really? check out oh, my they, horse. They poop a lot. They, they oh, do poop a oh. lot, but apparently I, I didn't realize it when I first started playing. I must have had a female horse. Uh, at one point, my son got up. Yeah, he dresses him as girl and boy when, when at, the horse. At ran. one point, he had a male horse and like you know swinging back and forth between his legs. I was like, really, really? Like, is that yeah, necessary? Yeah. But they were going for authenticity. They they got it. Yeah, well, I, I didn't check my horse out, but I ha at one point I had a thoroughbred. I found a, I just stumbled across a thoroughbred and kept it right, and it was huge huh. compared to the other horses. Right? That's funny and fast. <laughs> yeah. But then I died and lost it. Because that's how that goes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I guess we'll, we better call it. Yeah. Yeah. I have... Uh, I have to go... Play, maybe I'll go play like 20 minutes of Red Dead before I go to bed. I, I have <laughs> uh, been up since 5.45, so I should probably get some sleep at some point. My dogs decided Pourquoi? that they... Well, they decided that they wanted to be fed at 5.45, so they decided on a tandem attack. One of them, the, uh, the animals. Yeah, hmm. One of them stood over menacingly. Uh, the little one, thankfully, stood over my face menacingly, staring at me, while the other one licked my hands and feet until I woke up. So, uh, yeah, it was it was not quite the wake up I was looking for this morning. But I had to I had to go to the office. Yeah, so baby, I, baby gates. You need baby gates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the little one is a as you've no doubt experienced here, quite adept at hopping. So I don't think that would oh, stop that's her. True, so. Yeah. Yeah, so my my dog, like my dog, for example, Jaime, he's a hundred pounds, mm -hmm. but if you put up like a baby gate, he can't figure it out, right? So like right now, there's a baby gate up upstairs to keep him from going all the way up to the third floor because trying to get him to come back down when I go to bed is like a pain in the butt. <laughs> so for like for like half a week there, he I couldn't get him out of the bed, and he just so the three of us had to share the bed, and he's like you know he's not the you know most democratic sleeper, right? <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Yep. All right. Well, it was fun getting back together, guys. It was nice to, uh, yeah, yeah, nice to get back in action. Congratulations on 150 episodes. Yep. I only have three hour episode to cut down to two hours. Well, now. you know, you can, you could, not only can you pull the stuff off of for the, uh, Spockies episode, but you can put in a little bonus after show to that one too. So, you know, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. All right. We'll see. Talk to you next okay. week. Ciao. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. 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 
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.